Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Aaron and Patricia. My name is Patricia. Uh, my name is Aaron. And today on the show, Bob Chappick is getting sued over violations and mis of misleading statements on Disney+. The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom has sold 10 million copies in three days, making it the fastest Zelda game of all time. Nickelodeon is rebranding their logo for the first time in 14 years. What does it look like? We'll tell you about it. Adult Swims to start another hour earlier because no child in the world watches cable. We're going to be talking about the teaser trailer of Nimona. Danny Phantoms A Glitch in Time is releasing on July 18th. Uh, Disney is going to be removing movies, documentaries, and series off Disney Plus to cut off costs. GQ lists the top 100 video games of all time, ranked by video game developers, streamers, journalists, and directors. Uh, Sega has announced the Sonic Symphony World Tour concert series. Announcement and trailer for Mortal Kombat 1. We're going to be talking about a Florida teacher that is under investigation because she showed off a certain movie. And we've also got our spoiler section from Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, which we weren't able to bring you last week. Uh, you're listening to Aaron and Patricia on the 21st of May of 2021. All right, everybody. So um, a big shout out to everyone who has been asking where's the Aaron Mezzo show gone because uh, I'm wondering that myself. So uh, uh, at the minute, like, I'm just trying to find time to, like, you know, record episodes, plan episodes, things like that. So, I mean, I think we're not going to be at a schedule at the minute. I think an episode comes out when an episode comes out at the moment because uh, right now I we are going to be doing a bit of a revamp for Old School Lane. So that's kind of like uh, where our priorities are at the moment. So, uh, um, yeah, we're going to be doing that. And also some more uh, Crystal Skulls going to be on the way on the YouTube channel. Right now the latest episode uh, is up on the Old School Lane uh, podcast feed. Uh, but uh, soon there's going to be some more stuff uh, for Insurgent crystal skull coming up on the youtube channel very soon all right so our top story so bob chapik is being sued by shareholders because of some misleading information regarding about uh, violations and security laws for disney plus yeah, I mean, like, so, I've I got to be honest with you, I don't really put my, uh, I, I understand that Bob Chapek was, uh, you know, in some sort of legal trouble, but uh, I wasn't, like, you know, uh, entirely sure about, you know, what was going on in regards to that, and also, uh, keep this in mind, like, you know, I sort of kind of stay away from court cases for, like, you know, because uh, I believe that once something goes into a courtroom, I feel like, you know, all of that needs to be dealt with in there, and not everybody kind of, like, you know, along the outside, kind of, like, uh, deal it, you know, us, you know, discussing, like, you know, what potentially, you know, is he guilty, is he not guilty, I think, uh, let the court decide all of that, but in regards to, like, uh, the fact that now he has this hanging over his head, like, uh, I mean, I, don't, I think it's a bit, you know, early to speculate whether this is, like, his downfall from Disney, uh, in a way, for, like, you know, bringing Bob Iger, because I'm not too sure if, like, they saw this coming, but, uh, I mean, so we can't really speculate over that either, so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a big turn of events, I have to say, and, uh, you know, once again, you know, the Shabbat era of Disney just looks even more, you know, uh, even worse than it was before, you know, uh, forget, like, you know, all the, you know, uh, the, the wrong moves that they did, you know, the, uh, the difficulties they had with, like, you know, the, um, you know, the, the whole LGBTQ plus situation, uh, just, just the idea that, you know, Disney fans did not like him, and, uh, but, uh, now I feel like, you know, from a, now it looks like from a corporate and now from a fan and now pretty much from every other, you know, aspect of the Japik era, I think a lot of people are going to be looking at this as very dark days for Disney, uh, at that time. So, yeah. So let me just read off what Variety had posted. So it says here that the case involving with the lawsuit uh, filed by local 272 Labor Management P Pension Fund on May 12th um, also 
had stated that the class action lawsuit representing Disney shareholders happened from December 10th, 2020 to November 8th of 2022. Um, the lawsuit allegates that Chappick and other executives did not properly disclose the truthful state of Disney, specifically project its projections for Disney Plus subscriber numbers and the company's overall health in the streaming industry. While the company's stock had continued to take major hits over the past few months, it is not an outlier in the entertainment industry, which had seen struggles to penetrate the streaming services as the linear television market has continued to decline. Uh, so, yeah, as you guys know, we've been talking about this, that um, Disney has not been doing very well in terms of Disney+. Plus. We talked about last week that they've lost about 4 million subscribers and... Um, that the quarterly drop was less deep than the previous quarter was... Well, was I mean, that might be a bit of a red herring. And the reason why I say that is because, I mean, uh, you know uh, which lucrative contract they recently lost? Uh, what's that? Uh, the Indian uh, Premier League for, for cricket. And right. uh, so um, when they lost that, that's where those four million went. Uh, effectively, so I mean, this I think is a bit of a let off. I think for Disney because Disney Plus at one point did carry live, you know, which I thought was quite fascinating. Really, they're carrying, you know, uh, um, you know, live cricket for you know India, which I think you know for them, I think it was a it was a very sweet plum. I think for them to obtain, but now that they've lost the rights to that, I think now, um, you know. Uh, uh, Disney, I think, obviously was going to take a hit on that because there was going to be a lot of, like, you know, cricket, so, you know, uh, fanatics who just weren't going to subscribe to Disney Plus anymore. And uh, if you think they're going to flip over from, you know, um, you know, um, cricket to, like, you know, the second season of Molly McGee, I think you'll be second. I think you'll be sadly mistaken. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, and it, well, that was from last week. They're talking about the things that happened uh, according to what the, the the lawsuit was. It was everything that happened from December 10th, 2020 to November 8th, 2022. So everything that happened around that time. So that was around when, you know, a lot of things were happening in, um, you know, in Disney. And, and I know we, we got like, you know, some excuses. Some people say, well, well, it was like during the pandemic and they were just trying to like sort things out and stuff like that. But yeah, let me just read off what the uh, the document says. Uh, each of the individual defendants were directly involved in the management and day-to-day -day operations of the company at the highest levels and were privy to confidential propriety information concerning the company and its business operations, services, plans, and present and future business pros prospects. The individual defendants were involved in drafting, producing, reviewing, and or disseminating the false and misleading statements and information alleged herein and were aware of or disregarded the false and misleading statements being issued regarding to the company and approved and ratified these statements in violation of the federal security laws. Uh, the lawsuit also alleges that Chapman and other executives did not properly disclose the truthful state of Disney, specifically Disney Plus subscriber numbers and the company's overall health in the streaming industry. So, and then Disney made a statement saying, we are aware of the complaint and we're intending to defend vigorously against it in the court. Hmm. So... Well, that's interesting yeah. because, it like, uh, interesting. you know, I mean, like, they're, so they're not, you know, uh, feeding Bob Shepek to the to the wolves, effectively. No. Like, you know, apparently there is some defense that's going on within the House of Mouse. So, uh, I mean, there's obviously that. But keep this in mind, like, these are allegations at this point, and until, like, you know, with the court case goes ahead, or, like, you know, if there's either, like, a settlement or, like, there's something like that, I think we should be pretty careful about how we discuss this. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And according in in addition to that, um, former Disney executive Kareem Daniel and current CFO Christine McCarthy and uh, as well as the Disney CEO itself are the defendants. So, I mean, yeah, we can't really like say out loud saying, okay, you know, Bob Chappick caused all of this. He was, you know, like you know, claiming these uh, violations and lying that, you know, Disney Plus and the company was doing fine when in reality he, you know, is saying that it was doing okay. I mean, we can't really say that otherwise. But, just... but you know, t- taking the side of, like, the plaintiffs in this in this thing, like, you know, unfortunately he was the CEO of the company. So, like, yeah. you know, he... he, he mo- I mean, I'm not saying... I mean, here's the thing. We, we can't speculate at this point because, I mean, we don't know who knew what. Uh, effectively, like you know, there's a lot of allegations going about who knew what, who knew what. But at the end of the day, this is all confidential information that we're talking about. That you know, you and I should really not know. But uh, you know, unless you know, you and I, you know, uh, p- 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 press our connections, you know, within the uh, in Disney. By the way, for those of you who are wondering, you know, uh, there are some people like on Twitter who you say, oh, this person's feeding you information, that person's feeding you information. No. You know, like, you know, uh, if um, there, obviously we have our own means of, like, you know, getting information from Disney, but obviously, you know, it's not, for those people who are saying, it's this person and that person, it's not, you know, so shut the fuck up. But, you know, like, uh, so, but in regards to, you know, all that we're seeing here, like, this is all happening at a corporate level of the Disney Corporation and not happening, like, on the floor. Uh, where, you know, you and I talk about, like, you know, um, different artists or different, like, producers or different, like, you know, people who actually make the cartoons or make the shows, basically, like, you know, that that's where our, that's where our knowledge of, you know, uh, these organizations are. Like, whatever happens up, like, you know, in the, you know, in the boardrooms and stuff like that, we can only speculate. We can't tell you exactly what's going on, so... Yeah, we, we we it it literally just happened a few days ago, so it, this stuff is still fairly new. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there who say, "Oh, I knew exactly what's going on." And you know, let me let me be honest with everybody. Anyone who like has that as a YouTube video, I guarantee you, it's clickbait. You know. Mm. I mean, it, it does seem like it, doesn't it? I mean, it's like, oh wow, Bob Chappick is getting sued, but um, yeah, it's it's a little bit more than that. Uh, well, yeah, it's um, it seems like this is something that's going to be affecting Disney, and uh, also like you know, there's a lot of uh, angry shareholders that are also going to want to hear about like you know what exactly has been going on, because obviously you know uh, um, a lot of bad, a lot of bad things appear to have happened. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So in the meanwhile, until we hear anything, let's just uh, let yeah, let's just leave it until we get some more updated information. Yeah, there'll either be a court case or there'll be a settlement. There'll be one of the two. Something will happen. And uh, yeah. yeah. So. All right. So going on, we have uh, the Legend of Zelda: Tears of the Kingdom. Sold 10 million copies in three days. I mean, we talked about this last week that apparently Zelda sold so well that even the download didn't even work anymore. So, 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 Tears of the Kingdom broke the internet. I think, uh, yeah. That, yeah, I think, you know, uh, you know, move over whoever it was, you know, like that, that social media, whoever the person was who broke, originally, you know, quote unquote, broke the internet. No, this is, this is what truly broke things, you know, so, um, yeah, Legend of Zelda, by the way, I'm still playing Tears of the Kingdom, and uh, I've only just managed to get to the point where, you know, um, I've, I've got to, like, you know, the camp, and uh, then they've activated all the beacons, and now I'm, I'm running around the place, and I've only managed to, like, get one section of the map in on the, on the Pura pad. So, you know, eventually I'm going to make my way around, but unfortunately I can't stop dying. That's the problem. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's that's, the, that's what I hate about the beginning of, like, you know, these types of Zelda games. The same thing with Breath of the Wild, you know, until I finally, like, got to start getting to, like, some hard sin, 
and you know were able to like you know have some sort of like sense of durability that was able to like you know get somewhere in this game but now it's kind of being a, it's kind of I'm kind of trotting uh, along a little bit really trying to uh, you know um, survive <laughs> effectively you know trying to do bits without getting killed so that's what yeah. I want to do at the moment with the with the um, uh, Tears of the Kingdom. But, uh, I mean, the one thing I would say right now is that, uh, and maybe I might be not doing this right correctly, but uh, I'm not, you know, utilizing, like, you know, the whole, like, you know, uh, you know vehicle building that, you know, obviously they, they put in that. Like, you know, a lot of the fighting, you know, uh, stuff that they've added in is actually really good. And also the combination weapons are really great. I really like that aspect. But uh, the whole, like, you know, building carts and, like, you know, building, like, you know, vehicles to, like, you know, uh, project yourself around in and things like that. I've not fully utilized that. I don't know why. I still either feel like, you know, running around on a horse or just, you know, running on a foot, you know. I just feel like there's uh, more stuff going on, you know. So. Yeah, so I'm just going to read off what this um, article from CNN said. Um, let's see what it says right here. So... Um, okay, um, Tears of the Kingdom, released May 12th, had already broken sales records, earned raves from experts like IGN and longtime Zelda fans, and has driven some fans to take time off from work to dive into its intricate, enveloping world. Um, so it has uh, sold about 10 million copies within the past three days, making it the best-selling Zelda game, uh, the fastest-selling Zelda game of all time. And apparently from a lot of, like, uh, critically acclaimed sites, such as, as I mentioned before, we have IGM. Uh, I think Game Informer is also giving it, like, a 10 out of 10 and various other oh, good sites. Right. Everybody, like, you know, who is somebody in, you know, the, the gaming, you know, uh, you know, print media is always going to give this thing 10 out of 10. You'd be crazy not to give this thing 10 out of 10. Like yeah, even though even though we kind of made that joke last week about like, oh, there's some sites that are giving it like four out of ten and stuff like that, but no, in, in reality, it's been either nines or tens out of tens. And I guarantee and... you, nobody cares about those publications, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, but the somebodies, you know, that we all listen to in regards to the games are giving this ten out a nine and ten out of ten, effectively. Yeah. So. Yeah, so it says right here that um, you know it it for people who are willing to take. Um, you know, the time to play through every single quest and every single side um, side mission. It'll take about over a 100 hours. The main story itself is going to take about 51 hours. So for people who want to be able to uh, get used to having to explore this expansive uh, land and being able to do everything with it, you, you can. And also for a lot of people who uh, praised the um, gameplay, was able to say of how you know great that you can be able to do some crafting and how wonderful Link controls. I think the only person that I personally have seen online who's been complaining about Breath, uh, you know, uh, Tears of the Kingdom is you know david scott jaffe you remember the um the one of the uh directors of god of war who um stated that he got lost in metroid dread when he played it and then called it poor design he claimed that the graphics on tears of the kingdom were awful and he didn't understand why people praise it so much so he literally get this he literally got an ai to do a custom-made Tears of the Kingdom art um, picture, and he said, oh, this looks so much better than what you guys are playing. So, yeah, he, he seems to be the only one who seems to not get the hype. Yeah, and also, like, the fact that he's uh, making AI art is just going to make him all that more unpopular. 
<laughs> yeah, so yeah, you went from not understanding about the mechanics of Metroid Dread to saying that the graphics of The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom were ugly, and so you're going to resort to using AI to make it look good. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. Yeah, but other than that, I mean, I'm really happy for all the people who are playing Tears of the Kingdom right now, and especially you, Aaron, because, you know, we've been hearing about this game for years. I mean, people were wondering about, like, man, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, as a sequel to a game, I'm sure that it's going to get a lot of hype, and I'm sure that people are having high expectations for this, and I'm sure that, um, you know, for people who are playing it, I'm hoping that those expectations have been met. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't really have much to say about it other than, you know, congratulations to Nintendo for taking the time to craft a great game that a lot of people are definitely going to be getting into for this entire, you know, course of the year. In fact, some people are even saying that it's already game of the year for them. Oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't be too surprised, you know, and uh, interesting to see, you know, obviously we've got a whole year left. I mean, we've got half a year left until basically we get to game of the year, but, so you know, well, we'll see. So Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. like... Uh, but anyway, I think we can safely say this, you know, uh, uh, Zelda, uh, you know, t- you know, Tears of the Kingdom. It money. Okay. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it does print money. I mean, it's kind of like that joke, uh, you know, of Miyamoto and Iwata where they're holding up a Wii and it's like literally printing dollars. I mean, Tears of the Kingdom, you might as well do that. You might as well have... Um, you know, Miyamoto and the current CEO of Nintendo just holding up Tears of the Kingdom and is literally printing money. Yeah, at yeah. this point in time. I mean, I was able to say this. You know, one thing I was a bit worried about is that uh, I was going to feel like, oh, you know, uh, this is just going to be like, you know, Majora's Mask again. Like, you know, so they're going to add like some add some buy some bits in that which are going to be like a bit frustrating, like the whole like day thing, and like you know they're going to change some bits and pieces around. But they haven't done that. No, it's just like you know, it's uh, it's Breath of the Wild, but better. Effectively, mm-hmm. like you know, they've uh, they've actually you know taken the Breath of the Wild engine and actually added some good things to it, rather than just kind of like you know mess around with it entirely. So I'm happy with that. Oh, that sounds great. I'm glad to hear that. Yay! All right. So again, congratulations to Nintendo, and uh, hope that you guys are enjoying Tears of the Kingdom. And if you haven't gotten a copy of it, then I'm sure that at some point, you know, they'll get physical copies, or maybe the download thing actually works. So hopefully that you'll be able to get the game and have a good time. Yeah, and I promise everybody on this episode, I am not trying to rush Patricia to you know uh, end the episode so I can go play it again. I promise you. <laughs> I promise you. I promise. <laughs> you know, we're not going quickly enough, Patricia. Do it. No, come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all okay, right. Aaron. We'll, we'll we'll do it. So no, that don't, you don't worry, everybody. We're all gonna do it. We're all gonna do like either a, a you know either a one and a half hour or two bit show. So we'll we'll you know, yeah. unfortunately. Well- but. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm yeah, we still need to give the people what they want. Yeah, I know. Okay, the joke's over, everybody. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> okay, let's move on. So. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about Nickelodeon, shall we? So Nickelodeon, after like over many years of keeping the um, the updated logo since 2009, has rebranded again, and they are kind of like doing the best of both worlds. So they have the the font that they've been using for over 15, yeah, you know, over 15 years now, but they decided to put in the iconic splat. So. They're saying that this is supposed to be like a combination between like the old and the new. So that's actually pretty interesting. They shouldn't have taken it out in the first place. Like, <laughs> if you really think about yeah. it, like, I think that that whole thing's been a complete mistake. 
I think. And uh, don't get me, you know, if you spare me, like, you know, like, oh, well, you know, they're still, you know, making money despite all of that. It's like, you know, look, SpongeBob SquarePants is obviously, you know, from the Splat era, pretty much. So, like, you know, he's been keeping things going. So, I mean, like, you know, there's that. But, you know, like, the Splat logo, in my opinion, was, you know, um, it, it was, um, you know, Nickelodeon's statement, effectively, for entertainment. Life and like you know, like uh, you know, how many uh, how many how many celebrities have we have slimed at Kids Choice Awards like over the years? Uh, way enough. too many. Way too many. Well, you know, like well, not enough. You ask me, but uh, I mean, yeah, there's there's, there's there's plenty more. Like you know, the green stuff that can go flying around in people's faces. Let me tell you. But uh, I mean, that, that stuff has been around for close to forty years at this point. Ever since the um, you can't do that on television era. Yeah, Micah. Uh, Oh, by the way, like, uh, I'm sorry, we're, we're, we're sorry, sorry, but uh, isn't the time capsule due to be opened up at some point pretty soon? Yeah, at, at least for another uh, 43 years. Uh, another 43 years? Well, I mean, it, no, I'm sorry, 40, uh, I think it's another 40, 39, I meant to say 39, 30? because it opens up in 2042. Oh, does it? Oh, okay, then. Yeah, yeah oh, so wow. 39. Yeah, okay, so, so I, I saw a post saying that it was going to be put. It was like you know, like ten years, you know, to go or something like that, or something like that. Oh no, <laughs> I don't know where you got that from, but no, no we're, not even, got that from. we're not even close well, to that. I, I, no, are we talking about like uh, which time capsule are we talking about? Because I'm pretty sure there's more than one. Oh. Okay, well, I'm talking about the time capsule that they did back in uh, 1992 at the new, at Universal Studios. Oh, that one's doing 2042, is it? Yeah. So yeah, oh, you right. remember that? That was the um. You remember that big event that happened in Universal Studios when that? Yeah, yeah, when I, 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 I remember that. Yeah, exactly. So, but oh, yeah, they, 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 they sealed it in April thirtieth, nineteen ninety-two, and it's not to open. It's not due to open until twenty forty-two. Oh right, okay then. Who wants to bet when they finally open that thing up? Like basically, it's just gonna like you know, uh, there's gonna be a machine in there that just like you know slimes everybody. Like, you know, I mean, uh, there is a jar of Gak in there, so, I mean, yeah, I, I'm sure that they probably... Yeah, yeah, sp um, spring-loaded, I bet. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, anyway, I digress. Um, moving back to, you know, again, like, you know, um, Nickelodeon Splat, in my opinion, was like, it was their brand, effectively. It was their brand recognition that uh, they had. And, uh, you know, back in the 90s, like, you and I, you know, with all the cartoon channels that were there, you know, when you flipped one on, you knew exactly where you were, weren't you? Like, yeah. you know, with, with, with Cartoon really? Networks, you know, uh, Checkerboard logo, you knew where you were with that. With Kids WB, you knew exactly where you were with that. With Nickelodeon, you knew exactly where you were. With Disney Channel, you knew exactly where you were. You know, like, uh, th these um, channels themselves had character, you know, that displayed cartoon characters, effectively. And uh, Nickelodeon also had that as well. And uh, I just think, you know, you know, I'm sure there's some other people that are going to disagree with me, but uh, I will say this until, you know, they obviously slime me at some point. But, uh, you know, um, I, I believe that, you know, it was a big mistake for Nickelodeon to get rid of that logo. Uh, yeah, in fact, uh, apparently, according to um, a comment from the executive vice president of Nickelodeon, she even claims, I don't know why we discontinued it, but she does know why it's coming back. So this is what she said. This is from uh, Sabrina Calori, uh, who is the executive pr vice president of Global Kids and Family Marketing at Nickelodeon and Paramount. What we realize now is that today's parents, like myself, have a relationship with our brand, and many of them are former Nick kids, and many of them just want a space for their kids to be kids, and they want an opportunity to tap into the kid inside themselves. So, yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, considering that the Splat has been around since the, you know, 1984, 
and it has become a major staple when it came to like Nickelodeon. Not only was it the splat, but it was, it could also change into a whole bunch of different shapes. And I even interviewed uh, Fred Seibert about this many years ago when um, the splat was actually being changed because it didn't used to look like that. If you remember, it used to look like a whole bunch of um, different things. It went from like the classic. Um, old-timey Nickelodeon logo because it was named after, like, the Nickelodeon itself, like the theater. And then it had the pinball logo, and then eventually it turned over to the Splat logo that we all know and love today. And, yeah, those, yeah. Are the those are the rainbow logo as well, didn't they? Yes, there is a rainbow logo as well that happened around 1981. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, it had different logos until eventually we have the one that we know now. And... Yeah, I think that it was what perfectly cements it because as we know that You Can't Do That on Television was the one that brought in slime into Nickelodeon itself. And then eventually shows such as Double Dare and various other programs were able to implement slime. And so what better way to have that staple is to actually have a slimy logo and that's how the splat logo came to be well if you remember as well like uh, they also had like all the shows that effectively like you know were gross art shows like ren and stimpy rocco's modern life rugrats you know like mm -hmm. uh, and like uh, they were i would say are uh, fine you know representatives of that splat uh, if you ask me so um they had all that too so um you know that, that's the thing like you know nickelodeon you could you know, put it even before even showing a show you could you know put that splat on there and you could say yeah this is our brand and uh, this is how you know rebellious we were you know and how rebellious we are now uh, effectively and so um yeah i think it's um again i, I think it, i think they should never have taken it out and uh, now i think they've learned the lesson and now they've brought it back again and hopefully now they're going to you know, have some kind of, you know, recognition, you know, of, uh, you know, who they are. And uh, for everyone to gravitate back towards. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, basically, Nickelodeon, in combination with the design agency Roger, they went to set out a new style to embrace the creative freedom and irreverence that once defined Nickelodeon. And she felt, uh, Calori, uh, she felt that it had gotten lost over the years. And so she recollected on the famous Splat logo and the famous um, uh, Nemoric. So they finally decided, let's see if we can just bring it back. And so when they decided to, uh, you know, come up with the idea about how they're going to be able to bring out their new logo, they had a new campaign called Portal to Fun. And with the combination of the ad agency, Kalem, they started running the now iconic uh, Splat logo in a combination with the new, uh, you know, the current logo that they have. And then they put in this commercial where it has like a, you know, a kid waiting by his dinner table or walking around the street or anything like that. And then you have the classic Nick logo coming into the screen. So, yeah, I think that basically they're trying to right a wrong of removing the logo and basically removing Nickelodeon's identity for 14 years. And yeah, they're just basically saying, yeah, yeah, we knew that, uh, you know, this is like a, a major callback to what it was back in the 80s and 90s. But that's what we feel that Nickelodeon, you know, that's its. Um, well, it's not even a callback. Like, you know, it should be like your identity. Like, you know, yeah. to all the kids. Like, you know, like, hey, we're going to have, like, you know, a really messy time right now and it's going to be really fun. You know, like yeah, Nickelodeon it, splat. Yeah, exactly. Can you believe that there's like an entire generation that didn't even grow up with this logo? Uh, nah, I'm not surprised. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like yeah. the 14 years. I mean, if a kid and I was guarantee born, you, they probably will recognize SpongeBob SquarePants before they recognize Nickelodeon. 
Mm, ooh, <laughs> I I wouldn't be um, you know debating that. I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah, like you know, like for a long time, Nickelodeon's been the SpongeBob SquarePants channel, basically. Like you know, like uh, I rarely hear anybody else talk about any other Nickelodeon shows besides SpongeBob SquarePants, and probably you know with the exception of like some other ones. Well, I mean, yeah. with the Loud House, of course. Oh yeah, Loud House. Well, yeah, again, that's the other one. But uh, and also you know, like Casa Grande's as well before that was cancelled. So yeah, like, uh, yeah. I mean, like uh, so. Uh, yeah, Nickelodeon, I think, for a while, I mean, I'm, I, I'm really glad that they've done this, because obviously now they can tell everybody that, uh, you know, in their branding and in their promotions and in, like, uh, you know, any, like, advertisements or anything like that, you know, like, you know, Nickelodeon is recognized. By the way, there's also another thing about this as well, because who do you think has grown up with Nickelodeon? It's all, like, you know, the, 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 the you know, 20, 30-year-olds, you know, maybe pushing 40-year-olds, now, who all have children, and, uh, you know, will see that and say, oh, yeah, I remember that, you know, a really cool channel. I'll put my kids in front of it, you mm -hmm. know? Like, it's, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, like, uh, that that's 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 the grab, you know? Like, it's uh, it's brand recognition, it's, uh, you know, brand reliability, and it's brand integrity, effectively. And so, um, all of that is going to be, you know, positive, I think, for Nickelodeon going forward, because, you know, it's going to be really good for them. So, yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm just hoping that this will be the um, another major point where Nickelodeon is saying, yeah, I, let's see if we can try to slowly come back to what uh, made Nickelodeon so beloved by a lot of kids and just go it from there. I mean, they've changed the logo. Maybe they'll be able to do some other things like make some shows that um, gets just as much attention as SpongeBob. But at this point in time, uh, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, obviously, there's more ideas in the pipeline for Nickelodeon, which is going to be coming up. And no doubt we'll be talking about later on this year. But uh, I mean, right now, I think uh, they need to get the basics right, effectively. Yeah, and so I agree. This is them getting the basics right. So. Yeah. Yeah, so this is a bit of interesting news. So Adult Swim made an announcement saying that they're going to be starting an hour earlier because no child is tuning into cable anymore. So <laughs> I thought to myself... That, it's that like, is very true, I think. <laughs> yeah, is. so I I'm just going to read off um, this article right here that I got from Cracked, where they basically just went in-depth onto why they decided to change it. So according to the Consumer Data Statista, 75% of current Cartoon Network viewers are older than 18, and 43% are over the age of 30. The former prime time of Kids TV, 6 to 8 p.m., is now dominated by adult viewers, with 68% of the after-school audience old enough to enlist. So with that idea, they thought to themselves, okay, with kids not watching, um, you know, car, uh, you know, stuff on cable anymore because you know they've been watching stuff on streaming, they decided, okay, we're going to be starting instead of Adult Swim starting from, you know, eight o'clock over to seven o'clock as it was back around last year, but now they're going to be starting it from six o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so that adults can be able to tune into it much quicker. So I guess they're splitting it in two. So you know, the the kids will be having the morning and afternoon block. And then when it turns into the evening, they'll have the evening blog, which that's actually pretty interesting. I mean, I remember back in, you know, when I was a kid, when I saw, you know, programs on Nickelodeon, I knew that eight o'clock or seven o'clock, depending on, you know, where, um, you know, what sh programs were airing at the time. I knew that those time periods is like, OK, this is when the cartoons will be over and this is the um, time in which like Nick and Knight will be airing. So it kind of reminded me of those times in which I knew for sure that, okay, this is the time in which that, you know, they're not going to be airing shows that are going to be catering towards me. They're going to be catering towards the adults. So, 
yeah, I guess uh, kids are more than happy of watching stuff on their phones, and then the adults will just be like, you know, tuning into you know shows such as Robot Chicken and Rick and Morty much quicker. Yeah, like uh, well, uh, I mean, it, mind you, like uh, I mean, just because your kids are moving away to the internet doesn't mean necessarily they're safe. I mean, I'm pretty sure there's more rancid things you probably see on the internet than you can see on Adult Swim. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a sad thing to think about. But I mean, yeah, I di I digress from that. Like, uh, um, so yeah, I mean, like, uh, who knows? Maybe this could probably push even further than that. Like, you know, maybe Cartoon Network will effectively end up being an adult orientated cartoon network, effectively, because that's that's where their audience has gone. So. Hmm. You know what? I mean, it would be really sad considering that there's been a lot of amazing cartoons featuring on Cartoon Network. I mean, it has a long history of showcasing cartoons for children. And I'm sure that if they were just deciding, okay, Cartoon Network is no longer, we're just going to make Adult Swim its own channel. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. Well, it's not making Adult Swim its own channel. Like, it's more like Cartoon Network decides to say, okay, you know, uh, we're going to take, you know, a more adult-orientated approach. So there are going to be shows that are going to be on there, which, you know, obviously are, like, we would quote, family entertainment, I would say. But, I mean, like, uh, they're not going to be aimed directly at kids. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's going to okay. be, be something that everybody can enjoy. You know, and so I think uh, that's maybe where, you know, I think that's one kind of thing Cartoon Network could do quite intelligently. I think uh, they decide to, like, you know, have a look at the lineup, uh, have a look at, like, what's on there at the moment, uh, have a look and see what, you know, both uh, kids and adults enjoy. You know, like, uh, and uh, let's, 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 let's face it, I mean, like, uh, the one the company that did do that pretty well, I think, recently was Disney with Gravity Falls, you know, the Owl House, and also with Amphibia. You know, like, you know, they, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with a lot of stuff that they produced and they brought in a lot of kids and adults at the same time. And even like Molly McGee's currently having that same uh, same uh, effect as well. And also, well, you know, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. So, like, you know, that, that can still exist for Disney if, uh, you know, they, they, use it in, they use it correctly. But, uh, you know, right now, if, uh, if uh, Cartoon Network can play their cards right, I mean, like, uh, you know, Unicorn Warriors Eternal recently came and you get that Tarakovsky's new, um, you know, cartoon. And uh, that's doing rather well at the moment. So it is like, doing rather uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like, uh, I mean, if Cartoon Network decides to steer in this direction, where like, you know, not only are like they entertaining the, uh, you know, I would say, you know, maybe the, the the kids, the teenagers, you know, that obviously that type of thing, but also like we don't want to bring in like you know the adults as well, and bring them all into like you know create like this you know this really hardcore audience, which you know are going to be tuning into them loyally, you know, loyal, you know, yeah. I mean, I think they got something there. I think. Um, yeah, and I think that if they are going to go into that direction where yes, they'll be having like some family friendly stuff, but then they'll be integrating more of an all ages, um, you know, lineup where both kids and adults can be able to tune into, which I mean, they already kind of do. I mean, you know, we've, we've had kids who say that they love shows like adventure time and Steven universe and stuff like that. And adults love it just as much. So, I mean, it, it, it kind of already does that, but when you're saying like, Oh, maybe they can give a little bit more edge to it and maybe they can focus a little bit more on the storyline and, maybe like tackling some subjects that would not be in a show for kids and maybe they could pro probably do that oh yeah they should do that edge is cool everyone likes edge you know? 
Except when you go too far and you're just doing it for the sake of edge. Well, yeah, but then obviously you get like you know the the crappy cartoons that are, you know effectively are just get yeah, there for shock value. That's that's not edge. That's just that, yeah, that, that, that's, that's just being immature. But uh, I mean, like uh, it, if you bring in something where you know people are gonna say, oh wow, you know I'm seeing this for the first time and like you know it's um it's got some really cool characters and uh, you know their motivations are, like are all intelligently thought out and like you know it's in this really creative world and uh, okay it's um you know not going as far as like you know to push the R rating or anything like that, but, you know, it's uh, just doing enough to entertain me, and it's just doing enough to entertain all the kids as well. I mean, they all think it's cool as well, and uh, I think it's cool, and so, because I think it's cool, they think it's cool. You know, it's a winning combination, and they should do it. I think, I think that you're right. I think that maybe if done right, I think that we could see a new era of Cartoon Network that could lean more towards an all-ages audience and bring in a lot of mature things that you would n normally not see in any other network. Yeah, exactly. I, I would love to see. You, yeah. I mean, who would have thought that maybe, you know, possibly Cartoon Network would be, you know, doing that when, you know, if you remember back in the day where, you know, Cartoon Network was that one channel that you got to see a lot of Hanna-Barbera reruns. Oh, yeah, exactly. And I mean, obviously, you know, the Flintstones back in the day was obviously, you know, for adult audiences to begin with, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, it was a primetime cartoon show. Like it was the first ever anim animated sitcom. Uh, effectively, and uh, but don't get me wrong, like you know, I'm not like you know, throwing kids to one side. I mean, there's always going to be like you know the uh, you know the the you know there's always going to be like you know kid orientated like you know entertainment. But obviously, that's not on mainstream you know uh, cartoon channels. That's like you know tucked away like you know in uh, you know in daytime television or like you know tucked away like you know in, in dedicated channels now. Like you know you got baby TV now, and you've got like you know uh, some like you know you got Nick Jr. Effectively, and you got some like all the other kind of like stuff that's you know there for like very young audiences you know for kids to enjoy you know that's still still going to be around effectively like you know you can't you can't sit your you know four or five year old in front of you know in front of like you know adult you know, like a, the type of cartoon network i think they should build i mean i totally accept that but at the same time like uh, i mean if you're looking like at the uh the good like you know um sort of teenage going further up towards you know young adult you know that, that that audience is definitely you know you know very there at the moment and they should really exploit it in my opinion Mm hmm. Yeah. So right now we'll just have to see if they're able to take advantage of it. And if not, then we're probably going to see more Adult Swim and less Cartoon Network. Yeah. Well, I mean, would you be angry with that? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to it. But like I said, I mean, it's Cartoon Network. You know, I, I mean, I know that the kids are not tuning into it anymore, but it still has this long history of introducing a lot of shows that, you know, at the time when, you know, Nickelodeon was airing its programs and Disney was airing its programs and, you know, Cartoon Network was the new kid yeah, on the block. Yeah, but, you know, like, uh, look at all, like, all the, um, you know, uh, the stuff I said that have been, like, either in the Deke library or ended up in the cookie jar. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like, mm -hmm. uh, oh, that was pretty big at the time. But, you know, times change. People move on, you know? Like, uh, yeah, it's like, I, I'm not saying it won't be a shame that, you know, that era is over, but at the same time, like, you know, there's a new exciting era that we can all go to that isn't like, you know, isn't like Cartoon Network, you know, replacing all their cartoons with live shows, you know, like that, mm -hmm. that would be a travesty. That's all that happened one time already. And that was a mistake. Okay. Yeah, I, I guess, I guess when you think of it that way, I guess I feel a little bit more better about it now. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, until then, we'll be, um, you know, seeing what uh, this new, uh, you know, early time slot of Adult Swim is going to bring into Cartoon Network. All right. So let's go over to our next bit of news. So Nimona, the official teaser trailer has been released and 
Oh man, I am so excited. I just want to say move over Shrek. Like you know, the, <laughs> N- Nimona now is the is the type of character that I want to see. Like, yeah. So for those who don't know, so Nimona is based off of a graphic novel written by N.D. Stevenson, who you may know as the uh, creator of the reboot of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. So this was originally in production at Blue Sky Studios, but then when uh, Disney acquired it, uh, as, you know, as long as, uh, as 20th Century Fox, they canceled the project and they shut down Blue Sky Studios. And the project was about 75% complete. Then around April 2022, they announced that they were going to be picking it up and it was going to be in co-production with Annapurna Animation. And then they were going to finally release it in June. And we just finally got the teaser trailer for it. And man, people are so hyped for this. Yeah, like, uh, I, uh, you know, uh, they, they kind of pulled the Team America World Police on me a little bit because, like, you remember when like, they showed, like, the storybook bit? And it was like, you know, then I was like, it kind of like, wait a second, this isn't kind of like what it should be. And then all of a sudden, like, it was like a fake out. And then, like, you know, we got like the real animation. It's like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm entertained now. And yeah, it's uh, so th- this looks great. I have to it say, does. like, yeah, it just, it's, uh, and, uh, you know, dare I say, like, you know, uh, you know, screw that guy who was talking, you know, complaining, like, you know, how Breath of the Wild looks and things like, you know, and Tears of the Kingdom and stuff like that. I think, you know, it looks like, you know, that, you know, Zelda. In a way, and, that, and actually that type of style, you know, now in a movie, actually looks pretty good. And uh, mm-hmm. it also has some aspects of Geshin Impact on it as well, which, you know, it's a very popular game, you know, uh, at the moment. And, uh, you know, so I think, you know, Nimona's got a lot going for it right now, I think. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. So, yeah, let me just read off the, uh, the official uh, synopsis of the movie. A knight is framed for a crime he didn't commit, and the only person who can help him prove his innocence is Nimona, a shape-shifting teen who might be a monster who's sworn to kill. Set in a techno-medieval world unlike anything animation has tackled before, this is the story about how the labels we assign to people and the shapeshifter who refuses to be defined by anyone. Yeah, so, well, yeah, it's definitely, like you were saying before, I mean, if you remember how when Shrek came out, and it pretty much was just like a flaming middle finger to um, Disney when Jeffrey Katzenberg was fired uh, from Michael Eisner, and then he was like saying, oh yeah, we're just gonna, cr- you know, give Disney a new one. So, basically, I think that this is kind of like, um, not necessarily a take on Disney, but more or less a take on like, yeah, you know that um, all these uh, animated movies that you've been seeing have been kind of like following us of a set formula well, we're going to change all of that, and I like it. Yeah, like, I mean, like, this whole world, like, you know, is, uh, kind of reminds me of, like, uh, San Francisco, in a way, from, like, Big Hero 6. Like, the idea of, like, yeah. blending two things together. So, like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that, that's a smart thing to do. So Yeah. I, I remember when, you know, when um, Blue Sky was shut down, and this was going to be their next project, and we were so excited for it. And then when we were hearing that it was canceled, man, like, we were devastated, and so was the entire internet. They were, like, saying, oh, man, this could have been, like, Blue Sky Studios' best film that they've ever produced or something like that. And then when we heard that Netflix was picking it up, and we were, like, thinking, oh, man, now we get to finally see what it was going to be. Because this is a rarity, by the way, that a project that has been canceled would come back yeah usually uh you know there's been a lot of projects that were in production and they get canceled like dreamworks is me and my shadow or disney's gigantic so the fact that this is actually going to be coming out out of like 
cancellation is a miracle. You know what? I just look at this movie and I just say to Disney, look, you know what you've just done, Disney? You've basically taken, like, a ton of money, put it on the back of a truck, let the truck move away to Netflix, and you waved it goodbye. You know? <laughs> it's just like, it look, you know, I'm just watching the trailer again as we're talking, and, like, you know, it just, good grief. Like, uh, this could have been, you know, uh, uh, another feather in Disney's cap if they kept this thing. And I get, you know, what Dana said before, like, you know, oh, what if, uh, you know, Nickelodeon kept the Owl House, or what if, like, you know, it, it was kept by other people that they pitched it to, and, like, you know, obviously it was a different, different project at that time, before it came to Disney. I understand that, but uh, I'm just looking at this now, and given the fact that they said that this thing was 75% complete, it's like, good grief. I can't believe they've thrown this away. You know? Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, we're saying that now, and then obviously, you know, we'll, we'll come back later, and then we'll find out that it sucks. But, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you know, that, 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 that'll be the kick in the teeth that, you know, you and I will receive. But, uh, no, I think he has a lot of promise, you know, right I, off the I bat. I think he does. And the fact that it's going to be coming out next month, this is something that we are definitely going to be talking about. Now, we're debating on where are we going to talk about this in our show, because... You know, we can't talk about it in Journey to the Blue Sky because even though it was originally a Blue Sky Studios you know production... I'm sorry to talk production with everybody. You know something? After all the the chaos that Nimona's been through, I think it deserves its own casual chats. I really okay. do. There, yeah. there we go. So. Yeah, so... Yeah, uh, stay tuned in next month, people, where we are going to talk about Nimona on casual chats. I know that technically it was a Blue Sky Studios production, but now that, since they lost it, because, you know, the last uh, major project that they did release in theaters under the Blue Skies logo was um, Spies in Disguise. And if you want to count also the Scrat uh, series on Disney+, Plus, we'll cover that as well. But, yeah, this is something that we definitely need to talk about. And if this turns out to be good, like really, really good, Disney made a massive mistake. Because, I mean, we've talked about the, the first half of the movies that we saw in Journey to the Blue Sky. And let's be honest, a lot of them left a lot to be desired when it came to, like, storylines and stuff like that. So... I mean, they've excelled in animation, but storylines was, I felt that they were the most weakest. So if they have, you know, adapted uh, a webcomic that has become really, really successful in its own right. And if Blue Sky was originally in production and if they would have released it just fine without, you know, Disney shutting them down. Man, Blue Sky would have had a major hit on their hands. I think that Blue Sky would be in a similar place that DreamWorks is in now, where they were able to pick themselves up after they released the bad guys and Puss and Boost the Last Wish, where they were like saying, Wow, you're, you know, you're alongside the cool kids table. Come on in, you know, come on in alongside with uh, Disney and with um, Pixar and with uh, Sony Pictures Animation. Man, I, you know, if, if this movie is great. I'm going to be so pissed off at Disney for essentially, like, letting this go. But if it sucks, then, yeah, it'll be a bit of a letdown, and it'll be like, okay, you know, I'm glad that we finally got it, but, hmm, I don't know. I mean, Blue Sky, uh, I mean, your your animation's still impeccable, but uh, storylines, uh, yeah, you're still kind of, like, second rate. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, so they're going to be like, um, okay, D Disney board, um, you know, uh, it looks like this Nimona movie that we let go has been a massive success. Um, what are we going to do? Rio 3. Fuck you. <laughs> you know, it's kind of ironic because I, 
<laughs> I, you know, that would be a case where they would probably do that because, I mean, they just literally announced that they're going to be doing a sequel to Zootopia and then Frozen 3 and then Toy Story 5. So, yeah, if they want to be able to take the opportunity to make more sequels out of the more popular Blue Sky movies, yeah, we're going to get to see more Ice Age and Rio. So, yeah, enjoy, people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, but, yeah, uh, I think that... Um, you know, the fact that we're excited for Nimona, it, it just goes to show you that, yeah, they, 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 they done goofed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, let's, let's, let's move on. All right, so let's go over to our next bit of news. So more information about uh, Danny Phantom, a glitch in time. Uh, we talked about this last week, but there's been some more information that's been coming up on Gabriella's Epson's uh, Twitter account. Uh, she even posted up this really cool drawing of Danny in honor of it. And now the official um, link to, to where you can purchase or pre-order the book is up online now. And I'm just going to read off what it says on abramsbooks.com. Okay, before Patricia does that, I just want to apologize to everybody. We're having like really terrible sound issues at the moment, so we're just going to like soldier on and try and get this done as quickly as we can. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, Patricia, you were talking about like you know the Danny Phantom book. Yeah, so it is available. Uh, it is available for pre-order on Abrams Kids, and it gives more information about it that we kind of already knew that it takes place after the series finale. That it focuses on Dark Danny, um, causing a lot of mayhem after he escaped from prison. So. Yeah, I mean, we had that information that we talked about this last week, but also we have some um, additional information, such as the publication date, which we already said was July 18th. It's going to be uh, six and uh, six by eight and a half, which is a fairly you know decent size for uh, a graphic novel, 192 pages. So uh, it's going to be a a fairly decent read. So for anybody who wants to be able to you know learn more about what happened at the end, I think that they'll be able to get a bang for their buck. It's 15.99 right. Right now it's available on amazon barnes and nobles books a million bookshop powells and indigo so uh and you can also um purchase it or pre-order it on all of those sites as well as abram's kids so yeah i think that um you know we're getting things going in, in less than two months we're, we're going to be getting the you know the last bit of the story from danny phantom that people have been waiting for for over, almost 20 years at this point Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, we talked about this last week as well, and, uh, you know, I just think that uh, it's good that Danny Phantom is actually coming back because, you know, there's a lot of people who are looking, also Morgan Terry, also shout out to her, she's looking forward to this coming back. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, even though that according to what Gabriella says, that it is uh, canon compliant, I mean, I think it, it's, it, you know, it, with Butch Harvey no longer being a part of this anymore, um, this, this will probably be the closest to being canon that we've ever gotten for a series of Danny Phantom. Yeah, like, it's just, it's... Uh... It's not the original. I mean, obviously, I mean, here's the thing about this. Like, uh, um, I mean, I'm guessing this is still being in done in, in conjunction with Nickelodeon, you know, with this. And uh, also that, yeah, and effectively it is, you know, still, I mean, I'm guessing someone like, are there any, like, the original writers actually getting involved in, like, in no. this as well? No. Okay, so, uh, but mind you, it is a Nickelodeon product. So, I mean, like, uh, you could say it is canon in that sense. So, I mean, you know, unless they decide to reboot Gany Phantom, and it's going to go, well, it's a reboot, you know? Like, uh, yeah, but... I mean, th this this is a, a sequel to what happened at the last episode. And, yeah, even though that it doesn't have Butch Hartman or Steve Marmel or any of the major writers who worked on this, I mean, this will probably be the closest that we've ever gotten to a canonical story. Mm-hmm. 
Well, yeah, I mean, like, so everyone's looking forward to this, and I think it's going to be really, I think it's going to be really good. Yeah, so if you are interested in getting it, now it's up for pre-order. So go over to abramsbooks.com and uh, pre-order the book so it will, so that you'll be having it ready by July 18th. Awesome. I mean, is it, is it also like a hardback, like Marcy's Journal, or is like, is it like just in soft, is it just in softback? I think it's just in uh, paperback, so it's softback. Okay, then. Yeah, so I'm sure that there'll probably be uh, a hard cover coming up in the future, but right now it's just soft cover. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, so let's go over to some unfortunate news. So um, we've already talked about how Disney has been not doing very well with their stocks, and we even just mentioned, a f- you know, just li- just literally a few minutes ago about that. You know, Disney Plus has lost about 4 million subscribers. And so to cut costs, they're going to be removing movies, documentaries, and series so that they can be able to recuperate the money that they have lost. And a lot of these have been Disney Plus exclusives, and... Some of these, if not most of these, have never been released on DVD or Blu-ray or any other ways of being able to get it officially. So this is not good for a lot of shows. I'm just going to read off some of the shows and movies that have been rem- that are going to be removed from this. So we have uh, the Turner and Hooch um, miniseries, the one that Josh Peck was starring in. The Mighty Ducks Game Changers, which was um, a miniseries that continued on the story of the Mighty Ducks movies. We have Willow, which was a miniseries that finished off the uh, the storyline of Willow, the movie that came out in the 80s. Diary of a Future President, which is a series about a girl who wants to become the future president of her school. Uh, the World According to Jeff Goldblum, uh, Marvel's Project Hero, the Cheaper by the Dozen remake, the one and only Ivan, Black Beauty, America Beautiful Than Ever, Better Nate Than Never, Earth to Ned, which you remember is that show that Paul Rugg from Freakazoid created, where it's basically like that show involving with puppets, and it's basically like this alien who's like this uh, very well-known radio host. Um, you have It's a Dog's Life with Bill Farmer, which if you know, uh, Bill Farmer is the voice actor behind Goofy, and he's been doing this series where he talks about like the different lives of dogs. Um, Among the Stars, Pentatonics Around the World for the Holidays, and uh, Why the Last Man, Everything's Trash, Best in Snow, Darby and the Dead, The Quest, and Howard, the documentary about Howard Ashman. So, yeah, a lot of these are sadly going to be removed and they will no longer be up on Disney Plus or Hulu or any other places. So this is very troubling. It is. And, uh, you know, like, unfortunately, I think uh, a lot of people are going to end up, you know, obviously not seeing their favorite shows anymore. And then we'll end up up stakes and leaving going somewhere else or doing something else entirely. And also, this is a problem with, like, you know, having, like, you know, shows as a service because obviously you're not being able to uh, keep all of this. So, uh, um, by the way, I'm really sorry, everybody, but uh, um, I, I've recently just come off uh, a tweet that's just come from Mike Scollins. Uh, it's involving uh, Zaslav, you know, uh, everyone's favorite executive right now. And, uh, yeah, and uh, I just sent it to you on Twitter, babe. Uh, so um, this is apparently, and by the way, we've not like watched this yet, but uh, I thought maybe I would play the audio and maybe give everybody an idea of what's going on. But uh, this is Zaslav getting a hit with uh, "Pay Your Writers Chance" at a Boston University commencement speech. So let me let me just play this. Hang on a second, it's not, it's not coming out the right thing. Um, 
My goodness, we're really struggling with technical uh, glitches today. Um, let me get this thing playing out the right thing. Okay, here we go. You want to be successful. You're going to have to figure out how to get along with everyone. And that includes difficult people. Some people... Some people will be looking for a fight. Yeah, I think they will be. <laughs> oh boy! So the WA strike, WGA strike, still goes on <laughs> at the moment. So yeah, uh, yeah but uh, I mean, like you know, that's a, I mean, they haven't right to chant that at him because, like you know, I bet you some of those people in that commencement speech are probably going to end up, you know, one day wanting to work for him. Well, maybe not yeah, work for him, I mean, but, you these know. Are, these are possibly people who are, you know, probably going to be graduating and hoping to become, you know, writers for media. So, yeah, the fact that, you know, or maybe they'll be even journalists who are planning on going out and doing writing for, you know, media. And then they'll be like, oh, there's nothing for us to write because all the writers are on strike. So, yeah, the fact that the students are basically, you know, chanting, pay your writers it just goes to show you that, yeah, Slazov, um, yeah, it's pretty tone deaf when he's saying, like, you know, treat your people with respect and, you know, there's going to be difficult people out there. It's like, yeah, uh, you're not helping, man. You're not helping. Yeah, and, uh, but, uh, I don't know, it seems pretty, I mean, it seems pretty hilarious just to, like, you know, see that, uh, you know, uh, like you cannot go to anywhere, you know, uh, essentially something like this. And uh, not, you know, and uh, just constantly be hounded with the fact that, you know, he's always got this, uh, you know, terrible thing currently going on at the moment. And, uh, you know, he needs to do something about it. And by the way, he's in all his powers to do something about it. He just chooses not to. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, thanks for sharing the the bit of uh, quick news, babe. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for, uh, what was it? It's uh, Mike, uh, 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 let me just get it in. Mike Scollins for uh, sharing that for us. So. Okay, well, thank you so much, Mike. Really do appreciate it. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, there's some people who are not happy with this announcement of a lot of these shows being removed from Disney+. Plus. So I'm just going to read off what writer John Bickerstaff wrote on uh, Twitter. So this is the writer behind Willow. This business has become absolutely cruel. And then people like um, Paul Rugg and others were just surprised that they didn't get this information until literally just at the last minute. And the fact that we are never going to be able to see these shows anywhere else or even these movies anywhere else because again these were exclusives they're they're not like put up in any other streaming services they haven't been released on blu-ray and dvd because apparently like oh those are the things are the past we don't need um physical copies of anything anymore well it just goes to show you about how much physical copies of anything are even more relevant than ever especially since i mean we even talked about this that um you know, a lot of these things are being removed from like streaming services, and then you know, you never know that the if um, they're going to be put up anywhere else. So the fact that these are going to be removed completely, I mean, the only way that people are going to be able to see this again uh, is going to be unfortunately by illegal means. They'll probably have to go over to the archive website and be able to catch any of these things that have been forever being you know deleted. Oh, they'll torrent. Like you know, it'll be it'll, it'll, it'll one of the two yeah. or dark web. You know, what one of these things. Yeah, one of those things. 
Yeah, so the fact that, you know, Disney Plus is removing a lot of these, and even some people are arguing that, oh, we know a reason why they're removing it. It's not because of, you know, cutting costs. It's because they don't want to pay residuals to the people who worked on them. Which, I mean, I don't know if that's true or not, but it does seem kind of sketchy. And then also the whole, oh, we're, we're going to be removing Howard Ashman's documentary. And this was like a few weeks before Pride Month and a few days before even his birthday. So it's like, yeah, that's kind of scummy on your end, Disney. Yeah, and, uh, you know, like, uh, um, I just think that's, you know, given the fact that we have a situation where, you know, there's nowhere else to uh, effectively get this stuff. And I don't know, like, you know, given the fact that Bob Iger has announced that at some point he does want to, like, bring back physical media to, uh, you know, more prominence, which, you know, um, it could be, you know, I don't know how that's going to work exactly if uh, people aren't really like buying physical media as, as much as they would be anymore like i'm hoping that you know they're gonna like hold, make a whole massive announcement like you know okay these things aren't on streaming anymore but hey buy the dvds buy the blu-rays they're here and uh, you know people start doing that again you know like i'm hoping that that will be a case and then people will start doing that again but uh, obviously that's going to be a bit of a kick in their teeth if you know are expecting to like get these uh, media and uh, but then you find it's not on disney plus but it is there on dvd or blu-ray like you know it's just it's uh yeah, it's um, it's it it it's, it just sucks. Yeah, the whole situation really just sucks. Suck. Yeah, it does. And I and and for all the people who did work on any of these shows and movies, and they're being removed, we're sorry. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so yeah, I'm I'm hoping that um, we will get physical means on DVD and Blu-ray of these shows. If Bob Iger says, "Hey, we're going to be focusing more on that," but if not, then watch it while it's still there because after that, it's gone. How, how, I mean, pissed, it's, it's, how, how pissed off do you think Disney fans will be if they decide to remove Amphibia, Gravity Falls, and the Owl House? <laughs> how pissed off would they man, be? They will be... They, their bloods will be boiling. They'll be ravaged. They'll be on the picket lines right now wanting these shows to come back. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. That yeah, was... good grief. It will be... Yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, here's the thing. Like, you know, if, they, if there's unreliability in the service, I mean, like, uh, that will completely upend the whole thing of streaming. You know, because they'll just say, well, it's not there anymore, so why should I pay for it? And also, why should I pay for it in the future if it's not going to stay there anymore? You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. I mean, we've been talking about that, but if that were to happen, oh, man, <laughs> we're going to see Doomsday on Disney's end. Yeah. By the way, whilst we're picking through dis- uh, breaking news right now, the Super Mario Brothers movie is now the hi- is now the second highest grossing animated film of all time domestically. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, it's a me, Mario. <laughs> <laughs> it's me, Mario. I'm making a whole bunch of money for the cinema. Oh my god! Yeah, with all, with all the audio issues we're having right now, you sound like one of those memes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. you know, what? I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna stop. <laughs> no, it's funny. <laughs> okay, so okay, but yeah, I, I, let's let's move on. Okay, so GQ. Uh, has listed, according to what various um, at greatest game experts that is involving with developers, streamers, directors, writers, and more, to crown what is considered to be the 100 greatest video games of all time. So, yeah, I mean, whenever that we see lists like this, I mean, it's always going to be opinionated by like you know a group of people, you know that you know de- depending on like you know what age they are, what generation of gaming they grew up with, and all that kind of stuff but yeah apparently this one is ranked by the experts according to what they're saying so yeah i mean we're not gonna read through all 100 but 
it's actually really interesting about like some of the games that they've chosen. I mean, you know, some of the games, um, I'm just looking through like the top 10. I mean, actually, you know what? Should we do like a top 10 or top, top 20 of what they wrote down? Oh, uh, I mean, like, uh, I mean, we've got some time. I mean, we could do a top 20. So, like, I mean, obviously we can't go through, uh, you know, the, the top 100. But, uh, I mean, like, uh, yeah, let's go through the top 20 and uh, see where we come up with. So. All right, then. So let's see what it says on the top 20. So number 20 is Elden Ring from 2022. Um, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. The punishing difficulty of Dark Souls and abstract lore building of Bloodborne meets one of the most ambitious open worlds ever created. Elden Ring uses core narrative foundations written by George R.R. R. Martin to create a staggeringly ambitious RPG packed filled with awe-inspiring sights, hard-as-nails bosses, and juvenile tributes to all matters of finger-related activities. All right, now this is something that you would definitely know of, Aaron, and I think you're going to uh, disagree with this. Number 19 is Doom from 1993. Uh, um, well, I mean, I'd like to know what the other 18 are, to be honest with yeah. you. So, I mean, like, uh, I mean, for top 100, I mean, like, uh, yeah, I would agree, you know, Doom, I think, you know, mind you, like, uh, how much influence, I think, are we talking about here in regards to, like, I mean, the, the other 18 better be good. That's all I can say. Yeah, actually, I'm kind of shocked at that a little bit, really. I think Doom should be top 10, at least. You know, top 20. You know, like, uh, I mean, it's Doom. I mean, like, uh, <laughs> every device can play it, pretty much. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Even dishwashers, pregnancy tests. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're, the Coleco Unless you're that ColecoVision console that's no longer happening. But, oh my god. That definitely can't play Doom now. Well, that definitely can't play Doom now. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the Intellivision Amico, the the games, the game console that claims to be family friendly and is going to have a whole bunch of games, but it can't play Doom. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, right, so, moving on. Yeah. Yeah, moving on. Uh, anyway, it says right here, so popular was Doom that it estimated to have installed more on PCs and Windows at the time. Bill Gates even considered buying developer id Software. Instead, he enlisted Microsoft producer and eventual founder of Valve, Gabe Newell, to port it to Windows. Decades later, Microsoft would finally own Doom via its 7.5 billion purchase of Bethesda. Okay, number 18 on the list is Super Mario 64 from 1996. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, as somebody who's not a massive fan of Super Mario 64 because I played it much later on than a lot of people, I mean, it is pretty influential and it did give us the 3D platforming genre that we have today. Edge Magazine's first ever 10 out of 10, one of just 24 in the magazine's 30-year publication, went to Super Mario 64. Directed by Nintendo's Mario overseer Shigeru Miyamoto, this transformative platformer set in a dizzying predescent for 3D games while they were still in their infancy. In 2021, a pristine original copy became the most expensive video game ever sold at an auction for more than $1.5 million. All right, and number 17, we have Final Fantasy VII from 1997. Um, yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, over Doom, I wouldn't think so, but... Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, I can understand for a lot of people putting Final Fantasy VII a little higher, because, I'm for. I mean, here's the thing. I'm sure that, you know, the Japanese audience will be like, okay, I mean, you know, we've already loved RPGs, but here in America, and, and I'm sure a lot of parts in Europe... We, uh, RPGs weren't like massive at the time they were for a niche audience but then when Final Fantasy 7 came out then people started really getting into RPGs 
So let me just read off what it says. Final Fantasy VII, a.k.a. the one with the samurai sword impalement, was the most expensive game ever made in 1997. It now looks so blocky that eliciting such emotional reactions from players seemed like madness. Truly, this marked a massive step forward in RPG storytelling. So much that Square Enix pumped probably double the dough into a multi-part remake. Which, you know, is true. Anyway, number 16, we have The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim from 2011. Um, yeah, I mean, like, uh, again, I can see that being part of the top 20. So. Yeah, I can see it too, uh, especially since Skyrim has been ported into so many consoles and a lot of people are still playing it to this day. Uh, so I'm just going to read off what the synopsis says. Dragons! Skyrim captures both hardcore and casuals with its streamlined role-playing design. Its snowy mountains, peaks, are an incredible discovery space with hundreds of hours of quests and secrets. And like all Bethesda games, thousands of fan-made mods create entire new quests and systems to elongate the game's life over for over a decade. And number 15, we have Red Dead Redemption 2 from 2018. Um, yeah, I mean, like, Red Dead Redemption was a huge hit. Uh, pretty much. So well, this yeah, is the, this is the sequel. Yeah. So well, again, Red Dead Redemption, like you know. So yeah, yeah, I think it's good. So perhaps the greatest flex in video game history, Rockstar outdid its benchmark for cinematic storytelling and attention to detail with Red Dead Two, a somber story about a man running out of time in which you can hogtie innocent victims to train tracks and marvel at lovingly rendered horse testicles. Video games, eh? What a weird way to describe Red Dead Redemption Two. Yeah, I was gonna say, I it's think like, it's a bit oh, more than that. Marvel, the detailed graphics on horse balls. Like, okay, what the hell, GQ? Yeah. Anyway, uh, number 14, we have Super Mario World from 1990. Um, oh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Definitely top 20 game. Um, one of the best Super one of the first Super Nintendo games I actually played. So, uh, mm -hmm. really got me into Mario at that point. And uh, to the point where, like, you know, I even wanted to, like, go further in, back into that. Like, you know, visiting, like, you know, uh, uh, Mario Brothers and even, like, you know, uh, some of the other Mario games that were on NES. So, I even bought, like, an entire console that was older than me <laughs> in order to basically <laughs> play them all. So, like, yeah, I mean, like, it's a great thing. So like, yeah, I yeah. remember when I got. Um, uh, I remember when I played Super Mario World. It was actually on the Mario All Stars pack where they had Super Mario Brothers one, two, and three with the Super Mario World graphics. So that's how actually I. Uh, uh, I actually did get a, a taste of that, and then my cousin owns Super Mario World, so that's how I got introduced to it. Uh, there are a whole bunch of reasons for Super Mario World's iconic status. The fact that it launched alongside Nintendo's SNES console, its joyous abundance of platforming, trickery, and an effervescent soundtrack that absolutely slaps. Really re-reckon all that is down to the debut of a charming green dinosaur called Yoshi. At number 13, we have The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time from 1998. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Oh, Ocarina of Time, before Breath of the Wild, was my favorite all-time game. Uh, of uh, for Legend of Zelda, I loved Ocarina at time. The fact you could just you know you ro ro roaming around like you know the Kingdom of Hyrule, the whole thing felt so huge as well at the time. Like you know it was uh, it was brilliant, and uh, you know the, the also like the fight with Ganon as well at the very end, and then the fact that you got to like you know very calming like you know credit scenes towards that. Like uh, I thought the whole thing was uh, you know and also the characters that you met and uh, you know the uh, the story also behind Link as well and like you know the fact that you know he uh, obviously ended up with the uh, I won't spoil the entire game for those of you mind you it's a, it's a, it's a pretty you know, it's a decade old you know, decades old game but uh, you know uh, the whole story behind the main character the whole story with uh, you know um, you know Ocarina of Time you know uh, going from like you know um, you know from a nice peaceful place to all of a sudden like you know into the future like you know into like a hellscape pretty much like yeah the, the, the game took you for a massive ride and uh, I think it's really appreciated 
So. Mm-hmm. Held aloft as the undisputed goat for decades, Ocarina of Time's clown, uh, clown, clown has slipped a little after 2017's Breath of the Wild redefined the Legend of Zelda franchise once again. For those who still have the Song of Time written into their muscle memory, no amount of open world adventuring can supplant this game's magic. And now we go over to what is essentially, according to GQ, um, number 12, we have Disco Elysium from 2019. Um, can't say I played it. I've never played it either. I'm just going to read off what it says. A game where your inner psyche narrates his way through one almighty hangover slash murder mystery. Disco Elysium's non-traditional role-playing mechanics put conversation as the primary interactive element. Just make sure your detective's morale doesn't drop so low that they literally lose the will to live. Interesting. At number 11, we have Resident Evil 4 from 2005. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely top 20. So it's definitely top 20 game, I would say. Uh, like uh, you know, uh, I remember playing it on the GameCube, and uh, it was pretty spooky then. And then played it on the on the on the Wii. After that, with the motion controls, and uh, you know, uh, it was still pretty sp- spooky then. Now, and uh, I-, I wasn't too uh, favoursome towards the remake. Uh, to be honest with you, I prefer the original game. But uh, yeah, whether you play it on the GameCube or whether you play it on the Wii or whether you play it on any other console, I think uh, it is a brilliant Resident Evil game. Resident Evil 4's grasp of pace, tension, and campaign uh, variety is still nearly flawless. As it stirs for truly revolting insectoids, legendary director Shinji Mikami and the team of Capcom popularized the -the over-the-shoulder view seen in every game after from The Last of Us to Grand Theft Auto. The critical reception to a 2023 remake shows its impact has not waned a jolt. Okay, now we go over to the top ten. So let's see which game was able to beat, which games have been uh, been able to beat off Doom. At number ten, we have Half Life Two from two thousand four. Um, I well, I don't uh, well, putting Half Life Two over Doom. I mean, like, uh, you know, in regards to, like, it's the given Doom's legacy pretty much kind of, like, you know, led up to the point where we get to Half-Life 2. I guess Half-Life 2 is, like, it really, you know, uh, um, you know, has had a, a, you know, the Source Engine has obviously been brilliant in regards to, like, you know, the influence it's had, like, you know, on various other games and everything like that. Whether, like, you're talking about, like, you know, Gary's Mod, Left 4 Dead, or, like, you know, Team Fortress 2, or, like, you know, various other things like that. Like, yeah, I totally and utterly agree. But, I mean, on my, on my personal biases, I wouldn't put it over Doom. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm just going to read off what it says. Many of the games on this list would arguably not exist without Half-Life 2, a game that demonstrated what was possible to do with 3D spaces, playing with physics models to create engaging puzzles and levels. It remains immensely playable to this day. How about that sequel, Valve? Yeah, like, they're going to they're gonna listen to you, GQ. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. It won't happen anytime not- soon, but I tell you what, like, you know, uh, Valve pretty much are sitting on a big pile of money, and good grief, are they going to, you know, what's going to happen? When uh, you know if they ever do release, if they ever do say, okay, Half Life Three is is a thing, like you know that's going to send shockwaves throughout the entire gaming industry. Pretty yeah, much it's going to be like uh, it's going to be how people felt about like, oh wow, Tears of the Kingdom, they'll be buying it by the bucket loads. Yeah. Okay, at number nine we have Dark Souls from 2011. Um. Well, uh, I mean, I get the excitement of Dark Souls, but uh, I mean, I saw people playing it and seeing how frustrated they were getting with it, and I said, nah. Like, you know, like, uh, that's uh, some, you know, years of my life I would rather have back, to be honest with you. (laughs) 
Yeah. Venture deep into Dark Souls' dank uh, subterranean area called Blight Town, and the acrid swamp around you becomes the enemy slowly poisoning you. In a sadistic game that asks for your patience and then your sanity, mere survival feels exhilarating. So yeah, if you have like uh, many years on your uh, on your uh, time that you are willing to waste on it, then have fun. At number eight, we have Portal Two from 2011. Um. Again, I can understand the influence that it's had and everything like that, but again, over Doom, no. I'm sorry. Come for the brain-teasing puzzles and incredible physics gameplay. Stay for Stephen Merchant reading one of the medium's funniest scripts. At number seven, we have Metal Gear Solid from 1998. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, that's definitely top ten, in my opinion. Like, don't get me wrong. We make fun of the game for, like, you know, being, like, you know, a little bit of gameplay and, like, you know, hours of cutscenes. Like, I get that. But, uh, you know, the, the fact that, you know, at one point you were having to, like, you know, physically, you know, tamper with your console in order to beat one of the villains. Like, you know, good grief. Like, you know, like, you know, never would have guessed that until, like, you know, uh, Colonel told you about it. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, uh, and also the fact that there were, like, two endings to it as well, and, like, depending on how you acted within the game and stuff like that, like, you know, I, I feel like, you know, Metal Gear Solid definitely is a top 10 game for me. So I totally yeah. agree with that. One of the foundational games of the stealth genre, and the game that birthed Hideo Kojima as one of art form's few tours, there's a reason why every star from Leah Sado to Mads Middleson wants to work with him. He's ingenious, inventive, and bonkers weird. At number six, we have Mass Effect 2. Um... Well, I've never played Mass Effect, so, like... I, yeah, I, I've never played I, it either. I understand the appeal that there's some people who really do like it, but in regards to myself, you know, I've never really gravitated towards Mass Effect in any sense. So, sorry. I mean, I understand the appeal of Mass Effect. It's basically like you have this huge sci-fi adventure where you get to make the decision, and depending on what decision you make, you know, characters either live or die, or some uh, events that happen or would not happen. So I can get the appeal of it. And it, the fact that it spans through three games... It feels like a huge epic journey. So again, I can kind of see where they're coming from with that. Mass Effect 2's final quest, aptly named A Suicide Mission, is one of the greatest in video game history. A thrilling conclusion that puts all of your choices throughout the game to the test as you potentially lose precious squad mates. There may never be a band of heroes this lovable ever again. Okay, top five. Here we go. Number five, The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt from 2015. Again, I've heard appeal about it, but I've never played the game, so I can't say whether, you know, I would put it top five or not. Okay. Our recent replay of The Witcher 3 took 130 hours. Every second of it was packed with rich characters, phenomenal storytelling, and some of the best side quests in RPG history. As such, we're sorely tempted to reacquaint ourselves with the Bloody Baron all over again. At number four, we have Bloodborne from 2015. Again, I've never played it. Yeah, I've never played it either, but it's the same vein as, like, Dark Souls and all those other games, so it's really hard. Bloodborne's intensely aggressive combat and near-on, indecipherable web of Lovecraftian lore cemented director Hidetaki Miyazaki as one of the most influential developers of the decade. The game's originality is the only entry in our top ten without a sequel or a spin-off. Further cements is Mystique. Now, top three. Here we go. At number three, we have Tetris from 1985. Oh, definitely. Tetris is, you know, is like the, one of the phenomenal games uh, that was there. There's even a documentary on it now, uh, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, and, and, there's, and there's a movie on it uh, on yeah. Apple TV. 
Defo and like, you know, so yeah, um, Tetris is a really fun game and also it's not just been like on, you know, the S on the, sorry, on the, on the Nintendo console, it's like it's pretty much been involved anyway, you know, one of the things I used to do, uh, um, I'm pretty sure I told this story already here on Aaron and Patricia, but uh, I mean, when I was playing Unreal Tournament back in like, you know, the 2000s, and by the way, actually, we should find that, where is Unreal Tournament in the, in the top 100 games? When, uh, when we're, um, we're, I, we're, I, we'll, look, we'll look for I, it in a minute. We'll look for it in a minute. But, so, you know, in regards to this story, so um, when I was playing Unreal Tournament, like on multiplayer, when I was waiting for games to start, one thing I used to do, one, the one wonderful mods that they used to have uh, was uh, as a Tetris game. So you can play Tetris while you're waiting for, like, you know, your games to start and stuff. And mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool. So, like, you know, uh, Tetris was at a point where, you know, it wasn't just, you know, a main game. It was also a game you could play while playing games. Basically, it's the game of games, Tetris. So. <laughs> yeah, it is the game of games. So I'm just going to read off what they said about Tetris. So um, let's see if I can find it. Uh, yeah, here it is. So uh, effortlessly simple game design. The rights to Tetris have been contested many times, but few can't deny the impact of Alexei Petrinov's Blockbuster as one of two pre-1990s games on our greatest 100. Yeah, spoilers, by the way. This is one of two games from the 80s that is on this list. It currently holds the Guinness World Record for the most ported game ever made, more than 65 platforms officially. At number two, we have The Last of Us from 2013. Um, um, I've I've heard some good things about The Last of Us, and I heard about the remakes and stuff like that. But in regards to like me playing it, no, sorry. I have played it, and uh, yeah, when I first played it back in 2013, it was like really good. the The fact that you were able to, you know, explore and try to see if you can find every nook and cranny to find supplies so you can survive, and trying to like fight off against um, the clickers and the bloaters and all of the other infected. And the storyline was able to be pretty dark and engaging. Something that I, you know, I I I knew that Naughty Dog was capable of, especially with the, when they were done with the Uncharted games. But yeah, they they really knocked it out of the park with this. But as for being number two. I mean, it's really hard to say. I mean, I know how influential it was because for a lot of people, they say The Last of Us was able to bring back major storytelling in video games when um, when Neil Druckmann was saying that, you know, gaming and video game um, storyline and video games were getting lazy. So I think that... Um, you know, he was able to kind of, like, popularize it again. But as for number two, again, it's a bit of a debate. Anyway, so let me just read it out of what it says. A dad game for the ages, Naughty Dog's punt at a Cormac McCarthy-inspired post-apocalyptic travelogue was one of the riskiest moves in PlayStation history. With 32 million copies sold in the franchise so far and season two of a critically acclaimed HBO TV show already in the works, it's safe to say that Neil Druckmann and Bruce Stratley's almighty gamble paid off. And now for number one, drum roll, please. And number one, we have The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild from 2017. Um, I mean, re after recently, yeah, I agree with this, to be honest with you. But as number one, I mean, like, uh, um, you know what? I mean, a lot of the, the, these places on this list, I mean, I would have to kind of sit down and have a big think about, really. But, uh, you know, I agree. Like, you know, Zelda Breath of the Wild definitely is a top ten game, definitely a top five game. In my opinion, and uh, number one's interesting though. I think that could be a discussion within itself. So. Oh yeah. Okay. Nintendo's magnificent Switch launch game changed how much saw open world experiences, vast in size, deeply systematic, and with a complete freeform approach to exploration, combat, and puzzles. Few games match its scope for experimental play opportunities, and few gave the player so much sense of authority over their own discoveries. Its sequel, Tears of the Kingdom, has one hell of a legacy to live up to. 
Yeah, so that is uh, the top 20. So I'm going to just see if I can be able to go through the 100 games and just like point out some random stuff that they listed off. So number, if you're wondering what number 100 is, what number 100 is Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic from 2004. Um, let's see what else we got. I agree with that. Yeah. Number 96 is the other pre-1990s video game, and that is uh, Super Mario Brothers from 1985. Uh, let me see what else we got. Um, so, why, why, are you looking, why, why are you looking for all of that? I just want to apologize to everybody. Uh, Patricia's microphone is currently eating itself. So, uh, like, uh, we'll, we'll try and keep going through whatever we can do. But, uh, unfortunately, we're just going to have audio issues pretty much for the rest of the podcast. So, I do apologize, everybody. So, yeah. I, I'm, just so, I'm, just so, I'm just so done at this point. Well, maybe you should just take over, Aaron. Um, well, uh, I've not got the list in front of me, so you do. Yeah, you oh, going. Fair enough. Yeah, okay. Uh, 84 is Shenmue from 1999. And, um, Shenmue? <laughs> yeah, Shenmue, yeah. yeah well, all, no, that, all, that, all that classic voice acting. <laughs> I must find and avenge the people who killed my father. Yeah. Anyway, I but, I yeah. was once Japanese. <laughs> well, no, was it? I was once Chinese. Or something like that. Okay, great. I was once Chinese. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I don't like the description of what they gave for Shenmue. A finer forklift driving sim is yet to be made. Prove that video games are often at their best when they're unashamed to get weird, deeply, profoundly weird. That's not how you describe Shenmue. First of all, Shenmue was a very influential game in its own right. It was able to be one of the first that had um, an open world that you can explore and people that you can talk to and things that you can be able to do well at the same time with an engaging story. And yeah, I know that the voice acting by today's standards suck, but back then, nothing like this was ever done. And it's still going through this day where video games such as the Yakuza series are taking cues from what Shenmue was able to do. So... Yeah, again, GQ, what the hell, man? Seriously, what the hell? Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Fortnite is at number 81, so... Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, okay, I'm sorry, that is funny. I remember when, years ago, when Fortnite was in its beta, and everybody was making such a big deal out of it, and then I played it for, like, 20 minutes, and the only thing I was doing was just running around, trying to find somebody, then somebody killed me with an axe, and I was like, nope, I'm done, and then I just started playing uh, Rayman Legends instead, so I was like, I'm sorry, people, I don't get the hype, so, yeah, if you're if you're one of those people who are saying, like, oh, but Fortnite is great, well, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm just not one of those people, so, yeah, anyway, moving on. Okay, so number 76 is Pokemon Gold and Silver, which I do agree, it's a fantastic game, it was able to elevate everything from the original Pokemon Pokemon. Number 75 is Metroid Prime, which I would have thought that maybe it would have been a little bit higher on the list, but okay, I mean, if um, if they were to say, like, oh, maybe uh, another Metroid game was on the list, like maybe Super Metroid or something like that, then, you know, I can see that, but yeah, Metroid Prime is definitely a, a, a fantastic video game. Well, what what, what place is that? Uh, number 75. 75, oh, that's a shame. I would have put top 50 at least. No. Mm, yeah, I mean, but then to my, I, I guess so. Okay, six, uh, let me just go over. Uh, GoldenEye is number sixty-five on the list. Really? So. Like that was the, the GoldenEye was a huge deal back at the time. Like, you yeah, know, it, it is. 60, it was. Uh, I mean, they they could they could they could uh, mockingly made it sixty-four, I guess, but you know, sixty-five. <laughs> uh. 64 yeah. my goodness uh symphony of the night at number 62 i would have put it a lot higher in yeah, my opinion that's like one of the best in- castlevania games absolutely and this and super metroid were able to create the metroidvania genre yeah i was okay. gonna say like you know that was the blueprint pretty much for every other castlevania game after that 
Pretty yeah, much. pretty much. Okay, okay. 60 is Super Metroid, which I do agree that I actually like Super Metroid more than Metroid Prime, but come on, I would have been expecting it to be a lot higher. Like, yeah, that's, that, top that's, top 30. Top, that's top 50 in my opinion, you know, at least. That's top, 30, that's top 30 for me if I were to, like, break down a whole bunch of other video games. Even though it's my favorite game, I would have put it at least maybe in the top 30 or maybe the top 20. You know what? One thing I've you know, I think I've done like my top 25 like great, you know, greatest cartoon shows of all time. I've never really done like, you know, 25, uh, you know, greatest, you know, video games of all time. Maybe I should do that list at some point. I've so. never done my favorite animated shows either. Kevin has many years ago, but I still need to do mine. So I, I, I was always saying, like, maybe I should just watch more stuff to kind of, like, get myself acquainted. But, you know, I think maybe at some point I should do it. Uh, the original Half-Life is at number 52. Um, the, what, the, the original Half-Life is at 52? Yes. That's a joke. Sorry. No. GQ, you got it wrong. That's no. Mm -hmm. If Half Life Two can be in the top ten, then Half Life can easily be in the top twenty or the to all like you know the top thirty. I'm sorry, no. Yeah, Super Mario Galaxy is uh, is at number forty, which you know I do. Yeah, Super Mario well, Galaxy. Is a I fantastic mean, yeah, yeah, Super Mario Galaxy has its place, but uh, I wouldn't say no. Nah, I wouldn't say that. Like you know. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean. Okay. All right, Deus Ex is at number 32, which I think it would have been a little bit higher, like maybe top 25, considering of how much of an influential game that was, where it was able to combine RPGs with like this engaging storyline and able to like uh, take the sci-fi, you know, twist into it. Yeah, I mean, I personally would have liked to have seen it higher. Street Fighter 2 at number 27? It should have been a little bit higher, like at least top it, 20. It's in the top 25, I would have thought, Street Fighter 2. Look at all the sequels that it spawned, and you know the engine that it also used as well. I think Mugen's also like uses Street Fighter 2 engine as well, if I'm yeah, not wrong. Yeah, not mention that it was able to revitalize the fighting game genre. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, It gave Mortal Kombat a run for its money. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, Halo Combat Evolved is number 21. Um, I agree with that. To be honest with you, okay then. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm looking through this entire list, and I don't see Unreal Engine anywhere. Oh, uh, Unreal Tournament. I mean, Unreal Tournament. That's what. I'm oh wow. Unreal okay. Tournament. I mean, that was a huge, uh, you know, shooting game at that time. No Unreal games at all. Mm, I don't see it at the moment. Oh wow. I mean, like, uh, I mean, most of the some of the games that even I think we were talking about are based on the Unreal Engine. So like, you know, it's. Uh, I'm really surprised Unreal Tournament itself is not there. That's real. That's really shocking. Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, I'm just looking through this list right now, and um, yeah, I don't I don't see any Unreal game anywhere. Yeah, like, Unreal Tournament was game weird. of the year at one point. Like you know, it mm -hmm. was it was a really big deal back in you know uh, back in the you know uh, uh, the the early 2000s. So yeah, oh, that's a shame. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Now, I mean, I'm sure that, um, you know, a lot of people would like, um, you know, state that, oh, you know, this is an opinion, um, but you don't, you don't take it for granted, you know, don't take it like, um, you know, like, like full in value. But, you know, this GQ list is supposed to be like experts are looking into it, like, you know, journalists and streamers and video game developers all put this list together. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, if it was like one person's opinion, I mean, that's a different story. But, you know, a major list like this, you know, you have to pick like from the best of the best. And from the looks of it, they definitely chose like some of the more recent games over the past 20 years as opposed to like some of the classics. And uh, well, let's, let's, like let's more... keep this in mind, though. Like, you know, I, I guarantee you, like, you know, everybody has got their own different opinion about like what the top 100 is when it comes to the video game industry. And so, yeah. like, yeah, I bet you would probably like, you know, get some more. P 
people like you know were from you know different parts of the gaming industry and they'll have their own different ideas or like well I guarantee you if we got some like you know a video game like uh, you know uh, people from like you know uh, from like different parts of the world and everything like that I guarantee you we probably have a completely different list you know so like uh, so to be yeah. honest with you like uh, this is the opinion of GQ and a couple of experts in that regard but uh, I mean like uh, I would say that you know if we took a whole bunch of other people I think and uh, asked them the same question I think this would be I think it would be very different. I, I I do agree. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there, there's some things on GQ that I did agree, and then there's some others I'm like, what? So yeah, um, uh, yeah. But again, this is a list. Take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> All right. Now this is something that I'm really excited about. So Sega had just announced. You, you remember when I show, when I was over at um, England last year, and I showed you the the Sonic the Hedgehog 30th anniversary concerts. Uh huh. Yeah. So they're finally taking it to tour. Way past cool. <laughs> it's real good <laughs> oh, no but no seriously like i i am so hyped for this so yeah the fact that they're going to be finally taking their massive sonic the hedgehog concerts and they're going to be traveling with it i i cannot believe that they're finally doing this i mean i know that why they didn't because it was the pandemic and they really wanted to originally have it in concert and then they were going to like travel it but you know they had to like stream it of course but now the sonic symphony world tour is finally kicking off and they're going to start off at the barbican hall in london on september 16th mind so you have you seen the ticket prices for it I have seen the ticket prices for it. It is ridiculous. Yeah, like, mind you, I understand why, because it's going to be, like, a really, like, you know, popular event for a lot of Sega fans, but good grief. Like, you know, the fact that the, the biggest uh, ticket price is, like, £105, that's huge. That's a huge amount of money. Like, yeah, it is. It's massive. And, uh, I mean, here's the thing. Like, I understand why a lot of people would be wanting to get into it. But, man, like, you have to get an arm and a leg just to get a ticket. Like, well, I'm just looking I mean, through the big problem is that, one, it's London. So everything in London is stupidly expensive by some kind of wacky law. I have no idea why. But, I mean, I guarantee you, if you and I were like, going like to this in, like, say, Manchester or, like, in Newcastle or, like, you know, somewhere up in the north, I guarantee you the ticket prices would probably be a lot cheaper. I think. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, I don't know what the prices are for Los Angeles, which is the next location they're going to... Oh, uh, no, I'm looking at it now. Oh, my gosh, they're super expensive. 55 to $155. Wow. That is that is really expensive. So, 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 what, what, so, what was that again? What was the most expensive ticket? $155. I think that's more expensive than London. What? <laughs> I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm just looking at this now. You have to forgive me. I'm just looking at the exchange. So $155 in pounds. Yeah, that's uh, that's £124. Pounds. Wow. So you're paying. So if you went to go see it in Los Angeles, you'd be paying about about um, you know, tw well, 20 pounds more than to watch it in watch it in London. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's pretty unfair. <laughs> Oh dear. Okay, oh, I, I okay. guess it's based on the venue, I guess. But uh... yeah, the venue. They're they're doing it at the Dolby Theater, which is like one of the most massive theaters they have in Los Angeles. So I can understand that, but still, it's like, geez, that's really expensive. But I digress. I'm just gonna read off what it says here. 
Um, Sonic Symphony is an immersive live experience that celebrates more than three decades from Sega's iconic mascot. From the classic 8-bit to 16-bit tunes to rock and EM, uh, EDM songs, this concert will take you on a musical journey through the colorful world of Sonic the Hedgehog. So, yeah, if you are interested in, do, uh, in, in registering, if you have that kind of money, go over to SonicSymphonyTour.com. And right now... The only tour dates that are available is London, which will be on September 16th, and then Los Angeles, which will be on September 30th. I'm sure if this becomes really, really popular, they're going to be like so many venues that are going to be wanting to take advantage of this. But yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that if I can be able to go, um, one, it'll either probably be either in something like Nashville or maybe even like Birmingham or in Atlanta. I, if, if, I, if I can have the opportunity to go, I will try to go, but... Yeah, I mean, as of the as of the making of this, only those two places are uh, are going into the ones that are going to be touring. But well, I mean, if it yeah, becomes like, super successful, I think they'll probably like announce more dates. But you know, until then, I mean, like I think they're just waiting for everybody in the existing ones just to buy the tickets. So right, right. But yeah, I- I'm really happy for this because I mean, we saw what happened on the uh, on the live stream and we were blown away when we first saw it. Like I remember when I first saw this and you know, we had like all these classic Sonic uh, tunes that were done orchestrated. I started crying a few times when I heard like, you know, Sonic two songs that are being orchestrated and then Sonic three and knuckles. And then when, you know, we, I saw Johnny Gioelli performing with crush 40, I was like super hyped. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this as a Sonic fan. I'm thrilled. And then, the, and then they um, played the uh, the Shadow of the Hedgehog theme, and they were kind of like, you just started crying because you realized that game existed. <laughs> <laughs> Why won't yeah, you just leave true. me alone? <laughs> <laughs> Get away from me! I don't want your edge and your angst. Yeah, yeah. take your chaos uh, control just... somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, don't talk to me about where the damn fourth chaos emerald is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so. September 16th, if you're in London, or September 30th, if you're in Los Angeles and you're able to go, <laughs> let us know how it is. That way I can I can see if um, I would be willing to go there myself. So, yeah, please let me know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, let's go over to our next announcement. So we just saw the announcement and the trailer for Mortal Kombat 1. So you would think that it was going to be Mortal Kombat 12 or 13 that was going to be the next game announced, but no. They're having another reboot. Well, I mean, so what's happened is, is that obviously, like, you know, they've gone through, like, the, you know, the whole Kronika saga now, and, and you know, the detail, like, all that. So basically, every character in that has, like, their own ending. Like, yeah, I think the Rambo ending's actually pretty good, you know, even though he's, like, a downloadable character. So, like, you know, he gets the hourglass, and but then he decides that, you know, uh, he was going to, like, rewrite history to, like, you know, stop all the wars and everything like that. But then he realized he'd be no better than everybody else to, like, send them all off to war. So instead, he just basically wanted, you know, uh, he just asked basically like you know for a little bit of peace in his life which you know was very sentimental i think would have been like a really good ending for rambo and uh but uh you know and uh, then they like some like really good endings for like all the other characters so i think this Mortal Kombat 11 effectively was going to be you know wrapping up everybody's story effectively and yeah. then they were going to go go again but uh interesting in this you know one like you know like in this one you don't seem to be going like in a linear time like you know if uh if you don't want to be a, a you know start a rivalry with you know if you if you want to be scorpion and want don't want to start a rival with sub-zero then you're most welcome to do so 
and then it looks like to me like they're going to make the storylines more open-ended which i think you know also they, they made the, the you know the environments really more you know were more detailed which i think is really good like you know this could be really good you know this could be a really good mortal kombat game from the looks mm -hmm. of it so like uh, if you get the ability to like you know change the story you know based on you know how you act within like you know certain fights or like you know or where if you go in certain areas like you know if they uh, if they make mortal kombat quite adaptable and not make it linear then you know that's gonna be pretty groundbreaking i think for mortal kombat I think. Hmm, that does sound pretty interesting. So I'm just going to read off what it says here. So uh, Mortal Kombat's co-creator Ed Boon teases how fans of Mortal Kombat 1 will feature brand new origin stories for the characters. Uh, last week, NetherRealm Studios officially revealed that the next game that they'll be developing on was with Mortal Kombat 1. And uh, the game fully revealed NetherRealm was able to confirm a lot of details regarding the events of the game. It will take place following the events of Mortal Kombat 11's aftermath canon ending, though not strictly a continuation of the DLC's events. In any case, with the game's new era, according to Liu Kang, the characters will have a completely different role compared to their counterparts from the previous timeline. This shuffling of roles will obviously affect how certain characters interact with each other, which was commented by Ed Boon himself. This was a response to a question on Twitter, where uh, X Aziz posted that Mortal Kombat's Melina was always created by the villainous sorcerer Shang Tsung in previous timelines, while the original games and and Mortal Kombat 9 also confirms this. However, it raises the question on who created Melina if Shang Tsung didn't exist in Liu Kang's new era. Boon was happy to answer, stating that the answer will be revealed in the story mode. So, Boon will also say that not only Molina's new origins will be explored, but several characters will be getting new backstories if his a lot of origin stuff statement was to be believed. The game teases in a lot of ways where mortal enemies or rivals like Scorpion and Sub-Zero will unite as comrades instead of immediately engaging in a fight. This should prove to provide some interesting iterations and dynamics between the classic characters. Despite Shang Tsung's defeat in Mortal Kombat 11 Aftermath, he has returned somehow and threatens the peace of Liu Kang's new era. The roster of fighters includes Liu Kang, Raiden, Kitana, Kung Lao, Melina, Sub-Zero, and Scorpion. However, other Mortal Kombat leaks also shows characters such as Ermac, Quan Chi, and Takeda also returning alongside with guests such as Peacemaker and Homelander. And it'll be interesting to see how Mortal Kombat 1 story mode will play out, especially when looking to reintroduce the characters with these new origins. It'll be coming out September 19th. Yeah, it sounds cool. So uh, I think it'll make cool. Um, yeah, I think uh, a lot of Mortal Kombat fans will be happy with that. So. Yeah, and also they just recently announced that Jean-Claude Van Damme will be in Mortal Kombat 1. Oh, after years and years and years of people wanting to see him, finally he's going to make his uh, appearance there. Yes. Yeah. It's just so sad that he appeared in the Expendables before this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I guess he was like saying, oh, wow, we have Rambo and the Terminator. John Claude Van Damme's like, I can do this. Well, I mean, like, the, no, John Claude Van Damme's been like teased for like Mortal Kombat for years, even like during the 2D times. So, yeah, like, I mean, if you remember that Bloodsport, which was the movie that Jean-Claude Van Damme was, they essentially, like, took, you know, Johnny Cage's, um, you know, stance of that, and then basically just made a character out of him. So, in a way, we kind of got Jean-Claude Van Damme in the form of Johnny Cage, but now the official, um, co you know, confirmation of the character, of the actor himself is going to be in the game. So, yeah, finally, am I right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so yeah, September 19th, Mortal Kombat 1. Um, I'm actually curious about how this is going to turn out. 
Yeah. And finally, we're going to be talking about something really, really, really stupid from Florida. So a teacher is being allegedly investigated for showing her students strange world because of its LGBTQ representation. Oh, I thought she was getting in trouble because it was a mediocre movie. Being like, you know. <laughs> well, you didn't have The Incredibles? You know, I yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah exactly. no, but seriously, like, yeah, this is this is so stupid. Like, this is just... really ridiculous. I'm just going to read off what CNN says. A Florida teacher under a state investigation for showing a Disney movie featuring a gay character said she wasn't aware of the state's controversial law banning instruction about certain LGBTQ topics had been recently expanded to apply to her grade level. The legislation first passed in March 2022 and initially applied to kindergarten through third grade. Last month, Florida's state ex uh, education board voted to expand the law scope to include all grades through high school. Teachers who violated the state policy can either have uh, either be suspended or have their teaching licenses revoked. Yeah. What? It's just Florida's just a stupid state. I'm sorry. <laughs> it just is. Like it's just you know they uh, um some of the crazy shit that happens there in that in that state. I mean you you know it's just it doesn't surprise that things like this happen. To be honest with you, like and yeah. uh, so but you know like uh, also like uh, you know this these laws have gone so far that they've had to cancel gay pride events as well. Like uh, it's just it's uh, it's disgraceful. Like you know the, uh, the the promise of America has effectively died in Florida. Like, you know, it's just, it's, uh, you know, there's, um, you're, you're pretty much, uh, uh, curtailing the freedoms of Americans while charging them more money. You know, like, it's just, it's, uh, the, and uh, also a lot of people are now leaving there because now they're finding that things are becoming more expensive, like, and, uh, you know, it's basically turning into, like, you know, a, a rich person's playground, effectively, at this point. Or, like, you know, you don't have enough money to move, so basically you're there, you're stuck. And uh, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just really sad state of affairs. And also, picking a fight with Disney, like, you know, for goodness sake, grow up, you know. It's just... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Jenna Barbie, a fifth grade teacher, said, I had no idea whatsoever that this was such a big deal. Though Barbie says that the students' parents had previously signed permission slips allowing their children to watch PG-rated movies, one parent complained and reported the teacher to the State Department of Education after Strange World was shown. The parent who reported her is a member of the Hernando County School District Board, complained to the principal that the movie was not appropriate for students. The parent's school board member, uh, member, Shannon Rodriguez, said that Barbie should have gotten the specific movie approved by the school administration and said that the teacher is playing the victim. Them. It is not a teacher's job to impose their beliefs upon a child, religious, sexual orientation, gender identity, any of the above. But allowing movies such as the assisted teachers in opening a, a door, and please hear me, they assist teachers in opening a door for conversations they have no place in our classrooms. But Barbie told this, this told CNN that her students already discuss topics on their own. These students are talking about things way beyond this movie. The door that she's talking about, it's already been opened. There are common conversations I have to tell my students. Well, there, we're getting a little too much here. So, oh, man. Do, do, you know, but, do, do you have the feeling that some of these parents were basically like, uh, you know, they, they were the original snowflakes? Effectively, like, you know, like, uh, they saw something that, uh, you know, uh, they didn't approve of, and, uh, you know, they were told, you know, oh, well, we want to, you know, uh, not have see this anymore, and basically we're told, no, that's just, that's just the matter of the way America is, and there's nothing you can do about it, and they basically just threw a hissy fit, 
And like, mm. uh, and now they carry that on to their adult years, and now all of a sudden, like, you know, they're now, you know, becoming like, uh, you know, members of school boards, or like, you know, they're joining like, you know, uh, one million moms or whatever the fuck they are. Like, you know, it's just it's, uh, you know, like uh, it just like the, the, these screwballs that somehow like, you know, that that society seems to find, and uh, then they just, you know, get flung into positions of power. Like, you know, it's just, it's, uh, you know, this is the thing, like, you know, some of these, uh, you know, organizations, do you get the feeling that people, like, they fail upwards? They really do. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they, they fall on their face so many times and, like, uh, but somehow they just, uh, they, they somehow have this magic ability to, like, you know, just continue, you know, going up the social ladder somehow, you know? It's just, it's, uh, I, I don't understand why these people are in the position that they are in. I mean, I, I, I can tell you what it is. It's money. Like, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, the money that's been funneled in by, like, all these, you know, uh, these billionaires who, like, uh, you know, who are also, you know, fixated on, like, you know, on culture war issues, like, you know, but basically putting these people in, like, you know, in the, in the seats, effectively, like, right. you know, it's a, it's a rigged system, it's a rigged system, you know, and, uh, yeah, it effectively is, and uh, so, and then the only people who basically, you know, um, suffer out of all this is the, uh, the, you know, the, uh, people who effectively have no power. You know, like it's just it's a, it's authoritarianism by the T. It really is. You know. Yeah, Big Brother's watching over you. But it's not Big Brother. He's not even Big Brother. Like you know, uh, uh, Big Brother just watches you. Like you know, this is um, you know, uh, the, this is authoritarianism. Like you know, this is this is the having you know, stuff, stuff imposed upon you. you right. Know? All right. Well, <laughs> what a way to end things off, am I right? So well, we're not done they- yet. Like you know, we got Moon Gold Devil Dinosaur coming up. Well, I know. I'm talking about for like the people who uh, haven't seen the show. So I'm, we're just uh, for those who haven't seen it. So we're going to end it off right here. But for those who haven't seen Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, uh, you know, stay tuned, and we're going to be talking to you about our thoughts of the episode we just saw. So for those who are not going to be joining us for that, thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you next week. So bye, everybody. Okay. Going once, going twice, going three times, and we're in spoiler territory. So, uh, everybody, you're going to have to forgive us on all this because we're totally mixed up on, like, you know, which uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur we're actually going to venture into. So, Patricia, I'll let you announce the episode, and then we'll okay, just talk so, about it. Okay, like Mother, like Moon Girl. Okay, so, um, like Mother, like Moon Girl. Yes. So, um, tell us, well, give us the introduction. What's that, what's that episode about? Okay, Lunella is made community captain by Council President Penna, who hires the Muzzlers to help improve the community. Lunella is reluctant, but agrees to find that the Muzzlers are obsessed with extreme gentrification, causing everyone, including Adria, to lose faith in Moon Girl for the massive changes and restrictions. Lunella is encouraged to use her voice and organizes a protest. Penna joins in the protest as the Muzzlers reveal their true colors and battle Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Okay, well, I'm afraid I'm going to have to stop you there, Patricia, because that doesn't sound like an episode that I've seen. So, oh, which one did you see? Um, well, um, hang on a second. Let me put. This is the thing we're having. Everybody, like you know, the episodes are all different. By the way, um, I'm having a look now. Um, okay, so because uh, if you remember, like you know, we didn't get to do the other Moon Girl Devil Dinosaur episode. Yeah, last week. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so so which one are you? Uh, which one did you see? So, um, well, this is where we got mixed up. Don't you remember? Okay. So, what was the last episode that we spoke about? We spoke about Goodnight Moon Girl last. Goodnight time. Moon Girl. So, yeah. So, um, that's what we spoke about last time. So, what was the episode after Goodnight Moon Girl? Um, well, I got, uh, according to my list, I gotten like Mother Like Moon Girl as episode eleven. That makes no sense. 
Um, All right, what did you get? Okay, as your right. What did you get? So, um, well, I got Goodnight Moon Girl, and then, but then after that, it was yeah. So, hang on a second. You know what? I think I think Disney I think Disney Plus UK's put these episodes back in order. I think so. Uh, um, right. So I've got. You know what? I mean, I have no idea. I what is the deal with this whole mix-up? I don't understand this. Yeah, it's so weird. So, um, right, so I'm going to go, like, from episode one and all the way up. So, Moon Girl Landing, uh, mm-hmm. The Borough Bully, uh, yep. Run the Rink, uh, mm-hmm. Check Yourself, Hair Today Gone Tomorrow, The Beyonder, um, Good Night Moon Girl. Uh, no, I got Moon Girl's Day Off as my next one. Yeah, I've not got that. Um, so, Good Night Moon Girl is the one I've got. Teacher's Pets the next one. Skip This yep. Adolescence is the next one. And then Moon Girl's Day Off is the next one after that. And then I got Good Night Moon Girl as my other one for episode 10. Yeah, that's where the mix up is. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, let's talk about Good Night Moon Girl because we're not talked about that one yet. I don't think. Are you sure? Are you? I thought we talked about that one last week. Well, last week, remember, last week we had to cut that episode out because uh, we had to have technical issues again. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. So, we're not so, talking yeah. about Good Night Moon Girl yet. Okay, well, if if you're certain about this, then all right, let's let's talk about that. Right. So, Goodnight Moon Girl is the episode where Lunella takes on the scariest foe, the slumber party. Yeah, the slumber party episode. Yeah. Yeah. So th- this is the uh, the mind changing episode, effectively. So she uh, wants to create a machine that reads the uh, the minds of all the people that are in the slumber party, but so she actually ends up making it a mind changing device. So she ends up switching brains with uh, Devil Dinosaur. So uh, it basically ends up being kind of like this trope that we've seen this one quite quite a few times before in like cartoon episodes. But uh, I mean, I guess this one does it kind of like you know, kind of in a hilarious way because it's always like well timed. So every time like Moon Girl needs to be like you know hilariously entertaining, like you know she'll switch brains with uh, a Devil Dinosaur, and uh, then Devil Dinosaur basically ends up being the life of the party, uh, effectively. And uh, but obviously she's not doing it like, on her own um, her own uh, you know. Um, um, you know uh, her own volition. She's doing it because uh, you know her um her her, her grandfather is uh, got the uh, they got the remote control that has like the mind reading device in it. So she he keeps trying to change the channel to like watch his dog show that he wants to watch on uh, on the TV, but it's not activating the TV. Instead, you know, switching the brains across. So yeah, and all the rest of the family and, get involved. So that's the that's the subplot effectively getting involved in the main plot. <laughs> So. Yeah, and, and I really like the fact that, you know, uh, Lunella is feeling all this pressure, thinking that, you know, she needs to be able to read other people's minds because she feels that, you know, she is worried about what people think about her. Well, if you, remember, if you remember in the original, like, you know, slumber party that she went to, she didn't complete the sleepover. She ended up, uh, you know, having to bail out. So That's right, yeah. Yeah, so she's really afraid about, like, obviously messing up in this instance as well. So that's the reason why she ended up making the mind control, right? Or oh, the, mm-hmm. the, the mind reading, right, effectively. Yeah, and it does make a lot of sense because I'm sure that a lot of people, they feel, like, pressured into thinking about, like, you know, what does this person think of me? What does that person think of me? Do they think I'm a loser? Do they think I'm cool? It's something that everybody can relate to at a young age. Yeah, exactly. So, and, uh, you know, and also, like, uh, the fact that you have, uh, you know, what you consider some of the most popular students in the school asking you to, uh, you know, go to this slumber party. Like, you know, and uh, there's all this peer pressure to, like, you know, be, like, you know, with it in a way, but, you know, she's not, like, you know, she's, uh, she's, uh, she's effectively, like, you know, a super nerd, you know, pretty much, mm-hmm. and, uh, but, uh, you know, the, the one thing I think that was really great, like, the very end of all of this is that, like, you know, they don't like Lunella because they think that she's cool, they think they like Lunella because, you know, obviously she's very intelligent, and they like of who she is, effectively, and yeah. so, like, and everybody else has, like, their own, like, nerdy quirks, which they kind of, like, go, you know, go through, uh, you know, one by one, effectively, yeah. so, you know. 
And I also really like the fact that they were able to kind of like tweak the formula that we've seen a hundred times where, you know, the body swap episode or the mind swap episode. It's like, okay, we've seen this with Jimmy Neutron. We've seen this with um, uh, the Owl House. We've seen this with a whole bunch of other shows. But yeah, they actually did this really interesting thing where, you know, you have, um, you know, you have Devil kind of like, you know, really, you know, just responding to the fact that, um, you know, he's in uh, Lunella's body and they're just like acting like a wild animal. And then like Lunella basically having devil's body and just like being overwhelmed with the fact that he's huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I think that this episode is, you know, pretty interesting with considering that it is a sleepover episode and we've seen our fair share of sleepover episodes. I mean, I told by ginger did one. Arthur did one. So, I was going to say, how does yeah. it compare to the asshole by ginger one? Because that was a pretty big episode in asshole by ginger, wasn't it? So. Yeah, I mean, essentially with Ginger's uh, sleepover plot, I mean, it's basically that, you know, Ginger is invited to Courtney's uh, slumber party and, you know, she's the pop she's the popular girl. And so she is trying to, like, explain to Courtney what is a slumber party because she's never done one before. And, you know, you have, you know, that subplot going on. And then you have the other subplot with Carlin Hoodsey wanting to get um, the petrified eyeball back that Blake had stole from the first episode. So, yeah, you have all of these things going on where you have the girls like, you know, doing truth or dare and you know doing like the um the levitation trick and telling scary stories and then of course you have the one subplot where miranda and mipsy are um gathering um you know it, you know tricks that they want to play off on ginger like putting her hands in water so she can be able to wet the floor or putting her bra in the freezer and stuff like that so yeah you have those kind of little things like that and then as for arthur it's about jenna who is afraid of uh, being invited to muffy's sleepover because she actually has a condition where she can't stop wetting the bed so it plays off like that mm-hmm yeah, but uh, this is a little bit different. Instead of like, you know, oh, I'm being invited to this popular girl's sleepover. You know, what do I do? Do I have to impress her? Or, oh, you know, I have this condition that, um, uh, you know, I, I'm afraid of, um, you know, telling to everybody. Instead, it's like, I'm afraid of what people think of me. And I feel like I need to read people's minds so that I can be able to know firsthand of how they're feeling about me. So, yeah, it, it's a little bit different. Cool. So. Yeah, so overall, I think this was a pretty solid episode. Yeah, I think, you know, episodes that have, like, you know, the, this uh, type of, like, you know, setup, I think, you know, the fact that you have, like, multiple characters you can play off, the fact that you have, like, you know, a really good, like, you know, uh, the fact that you, know, you have also a situation where, you know, the subplot's still kind of like a subplot on its own, like, you know, oh, hey, he just wants to watch the dog show and has nothing related to, like, you know, what's going on. You know, tying it into the plot like that is actually pretty good writing. So, you know, uh, yeah. and uh, so I think they did really well with, Mo with Goodnight Moon Girl, to be honest with you. It's one of the stronger episodes of this of the show so far i agree so, yeah cool. okay now let's now let's go over what next week's episode is because i'm sure they'll probably be different so what is the next episode for you well I'll tell you what i'm going to go with you on on what you think is the next episode let's forget like you know so what have you got as the next episode for after good i night have night? like mother like moon girl like mother like moon girl okay so what about teacher's pair did we talk about that before <laughs> We did talk about teachers. And we, we talked about Skip This Out of the Lessons as well. We spoke we talked about that as well. Yeah, we talked about that. We talked yeah. about Moon Girl's Day Off. We talked about The Beyonder. Hair Today, Gone Tomorrow, Check Yourself, Run the Rink, The Bora Bully, Moon Girl Landing. We talked about those episodes already. Okay, so I think uh, next week we are going to talk about Like Mother, Like Moon Girl. Yeah, so let me just read off the plots and uh, let me just read off the, the titles that we've gotten so far. Like Mother Like Moon Girl, Today I Am a Woman, Devil on Her Shoulder, Coney Island Baby, OMG Issue 1, OMG Issue 2. So those are the next episodes that we need to watch until the series the season is over. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to watch through all those episodes and we'll go through one, one by one as we go through every single episode of Aaron Patricia. 
So yeah. So next week, like Mother, like Moon Girl. So for all the people who are tuning in and are confused. We're sorry. We have no idea why the U.S. and the U.K. have the episodes of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur in different orders. Yeah, if someone could explain that to us, that'd be really helpful. But until then, you know. Yeah, exactly. Until then, everybody, thank you so much for uh, tuning in to our spoiler discussion, and we'll see you next week. Okay, bye, everybody. Bye.